0: The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 56. Welcome to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host Sean Pryor. This week's episode, I am joined with co-host John Carroll as we interview producer Jeff Katz. He is spearheading the Wrestling Revolution project on Kickstarter, and he's here to uh, give the four one one on the purpose of the Wrestling Revolution and what it's all about. If you're a wrestling fan, I think you'll dig it. So check out the conversation. It was a real good time. Conversation takes place during Game Five of the NBA Finals. Just So, you know, FYI, and you'll see when you start listening to the episode. (laughs) Also, after that conversation with Jeff Katz, uh, myself, along with Donnie Salvo, we just talk about random and various topics from comics, movies, cartoons, comedy, I also like to give a shout out to fans and listeners of the show for making episode 55 entitled Candace and Daryl hijack airwolf. The number two all time downloaded episode in PKD black box history is right now neck and neck with the number one episode uh, downloaded episode of all time. Episode 47 awkward embraces on the enterprise. So thanks to all the listeners that have been downloading and listening to the show as of late. Truly appreciate it. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved um, here at the PKD Black Box. And also, the PKD Black Box has also been nominated for two Parsec Awards. Uh, now, granted, we're just a nominee right now. We're not a finalist. We'll find out if we're a finalist probably in about a month or so. Thanks to those that uh, suggested the PKD Black Box to be a Parsec nominee. Four times nominated in two years. So, we're doing. I guess we're doing something right, I guess. <laughs> well, anyway... Hope you enjoy this week's show. So let's go ahead and get to our feature presentation. I'm joined on the line right now with a fellow co-host of the PKD Black Box, uh, Mr. John Carroll. He's also host of the Carroll Chronicles podcast as well. John, how are you doing, sir?
1: I am doing well. I am doing well. Getting ready to go to Superman Celebration in less than 36 hours. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very
0: very cool. Now we have a very special guest uh, with us this evening. He is the former VP of production of New Line Cinema and 20th Century Fox. Um, you may have seen this gentleman's name in such movies such as Shoot 'Em Up, Snakes on a Plane, Freddy vs. Jason, and X Men Origins: Wolverine. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is bringing to us the Wrestling Revolution. He is the one and only Jeff Katz. Jeff, how you doing, sir?
2: Good, guys. Thank you very much for having me. That was, uh, you, pulled, you got a little nervous there. You pulled it together in the end, though. That was clutch. That was, it was a very non LeBron performance. Uh, of course, by the way, that's famous last words. I just cursed the Mavericks by saying that now. LeBron's going to go off for 20 in the second half. So. <laughs> Look, he, he,
1: he hit his Thank you for having- I would say he hit the high spots and he got the pinfall. That's right.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. Swanton bomb and my neck is okay so i'm all right <laughs> i'm all right but no in all seriousness so uh, thank you for coming on the show um you know we can't say thanks enough and we're just really excited um to talk to you because a few weeks back i had saw on your twitter feed uh, you, was, you were talking about uh, professional wrestling and the issues that professional wrestling has right now and you started to, to mention this thing called the wrestling revolution and then out of nowhere here comes a kickstarter a project called the wrestling revolution where you're trying to raise $100,000 to um, have, you know To produce your own form of professional wrestling and I just as soon as I saw this I was like, okay We've got to get this gentleman on the show. So before we just like take it even further w- Could you tell the people what is the wrestling revolution? Of?
2: Well, the re- the wrestling revolution project really happened uh, by accident. Uh, it was a social experiment, really. It. Uh, I love Twitter. I actually much prefer it to Facebook at this point. Uh, I had a stalker on Facebook. That will scare you to a different form of social media very quickly, you'll find. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I, we were getting in a debate one night uh, on Twitter, and it basically sort of turned into this thing where, like, look, I've had the luxury of, of and the privilege of being able to work in some fun, fun mediums over the years. I've been able to do movies. I've done comics. I've worked in wrestling. I've done some video game stuff. Like I've gotten to scratch those itches. And what I've learned is that in each of those cases, the audience is all bitch and moan and complain. That is the nature of being a geek or a fanboy or fangirl in any of these areas. Uh, I am that myself. It's what we do but in my experience uh wrestling fans do it at a level that is like beyond any of they're like worse than comic <laughs> fans and i say that as a big comic fan and oh, yeah. and the, the irony to me was that it's it's funny we say this given the fact that at the same time, a lot of you guys aren't even paying for the product. You're all streaming it or BitTorrenting it mm-hmm. and, and ripping it off. So it becomes this, You know, can you really complain when you do that? And, and so it sort of evolved as a combination of sort of state of the business, our larger frustrations with the business. And I would say to you, I had been frustrated as a fan for a while. I was watching out of habit, as I think a lot of people may admit if they're being honest with them themselves that they do now because mm-hmm. Monday night's just what I've done since I was in high school uh, and ultimately sort of evolved this idea that all right guys will you put your money where your mouth is are there a hundred thousand people out there willing to spend a dollar a piece to basically not supersize their meal for a day or to skip their morning coffee or in my case diet coke uh, and 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 throw a buck in in the in the uh, idea of a sending a message but be trying to just go and do something that is at the 180 degrees opposite what we get from wwe and to a lesser extent tna which is ostensibly a similar wwe television model and you you know you've got ring of honor you've got dragon gate you got things but i just think that in all of these cases there's room for something different R- wrestling's a genre like any form of entertainment genre and so it's not like you know you don't say, well, no, the only kind of movie has to be a, uh, a straight drama uh, or a comedy, right? Only you can only do comedies. No, there are R-rated comedies. There are family comedies. There are slapstick comedies. There. I mean, we could do this all day. You have subgenres within those things. And I just found myself, and in terms of the people I was dealing with online, that there was a, a decent segment of us that were all feeling kind of – uh, maybe at a point where we were looking around going, is that all there is? And that was sort of the genesis of the project. We started the Kickstarter and sort of off we went. We're over 40 grand now and sort of just keep rolling. And it's, you know, frankly have had a, an insane response to the point where, I mean, we're, we are further along than I've said publicly just by virtue of the number of people that came out and were like, I want to do this. So it's it's been... A very, very unexpectedly cool month or so, to say the least.
0: it's a very big deal to use um, these types of websites in order to try to produce something to say hey we're going to do something a little bit different a little something that's you know not the norm and we're going to present it to you and we're going to prove that what we have is just as effective just as powerful if not better than what is the standard you know the standard stuff right now so it's a great thing and when you're getting this constant feedback through social media I mean I've seen the hashtag wrestling revolution and, and stuff like you know I want wrestling and all this stuff just like blow up the Twitter feeds over the last few weeks and it is just amazing.
2: Well, I think that that speaks to, in, in both of those cases, the fact that there is a desire for, for some level of real alternative. And I think, while well, the audience, wrestling television audience is not as big as it used to be, it is still a very loyal and very unique audience. They have a, I mean, it's why it's very hard to package other shows with wrestling sometimes, as they have found. And I think that, yeah, through social media, it's made that audience more vocal, certainly. That just sort of comes with the territory. But I do think that a lot of this stuff speaks to people's desire to sort of, if you'll pardon the term, kind of fall back in love with wrestling again. That's where I find myself. Like, I watch everything, guys. I watch Japan. I watch Ring of Honor. I watch Dragon. I I'm a wrestling fan. Um, and I want to support good wrestling. But I'm really, in many ways, sort of as – uninspired, and I don't mean this as a knock, I have friends at all of these companies, I like a lot of the people that work at these companies, I'm just personally speaking, feeling a bit uninspired, and really, guys, what we're trying to do at a certain level is, I'm going into this with the mindset, like, I'm going to go make an indie movie at a certain level, Uh, and when I say that, it's, you know, if you ever go read, like, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, which is a great book about that era, that you look at the 70s before the the blockbuster period, and really what it was, was a revolution against the movies of the 60s, which had just gotten so rote and so down the middle and safe that Easy Rider blew sort of things open and people basically went off and it sort of started what became kind of the modern independent film movement to where you had people saying, you know what, screw you. I'm going to go in a corner. I have a specific point of view, a specific vision and I'm going to go make my thing. Now, you, you, it may not be for everybody but damn it, it's going to be authentic to my point of view. And I think at a certain level because we see so much either the Vince McMahon dominated form or a lot of times book by committee Mm -hmm. that uh, that's missing. And the, I don't know that it's possible to be a pro wrestling auteur in this day and age, but that is what Vince in his prime was. It's what Paul Heyman in his prime was. Uh, you know, I, I, I point to Giant Baba, who was a guy who I think is uh, American fans may not be as familiar with, but in terms of Japan, was a phenomenal booker and and with clean finishes everywhere. And so, to me, it's it's really like like I said, I'm going off in a corner with a very specific point of view, a very specific vision for it, and. and and, and, you know, pardon my French, uh, you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, you, it's. I'm not trying to be crude. It's just you have to have that kind of us against the world attitude.
1: Oh, but of course. It's, it's the only way you can survive. Yeah. You've talked about all the other feds that are out there, the abortion that is TNA. Ah
2: how do you really feel don't hold back or anything man don't don't no shrinking violet stuff it's cool i'm i'm here it's all right
1: (sighs) that's
0: that's john to a t sir
1: (laughs) when you're going to be doing this uh what kind of style are you going to have primarily are you going to have more the ring of honor style you're going to have i doubt we're going to see an early 2000s late 90s uh style i mean what kind of style are you looking for
2: uh, neither of those, quite frankly. I, I'm a big believer in niches, so I think you have to have a little something for everybody. And I'm again, I'm telling you, Giant Baba is one of my heroes, so work rate is important to me. Oh, God, but yes. I, I've
1: seen I, a lot of those.
2: You know, I don't, at the same time, I don't need a card full of five-star matches either. I need... A guys that can tell a story in a match at the end of uh, end of the day. So I'm really I can't say that I'm doing either of the things that you listed. I'm certainly not doing old school ECW. That that's as played out as it gets uh, yeah. in terms of the, the 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 violent sort of hardcore style. Yeah. But no, I'm going for really kind of character driven. Uh, wrestling with strong in- in-ring work ethic, certainly, because like, if I list you my favorite... Re- like, if you ask me my favorite rivalry in the history of wrestling, if I could do worldwide, I would say to you, uh, Misawa versus Kobashi. So, I mean, if you... The
1: sad part is I, was- I know that fight. I know that one. Unlike Sean, I probably I know that one, because right. I used to get... I, I had a root guy three doors down in my dorm, used to get those tapes all the time because his uh, family lived in Okinawa.
2: Right, so if I'm um, listing that to you as like my, my favorite, believe me, I'm not sitting here to have bad matches. I'm not. I'm not no, hiring no. Stacks Calhoun the third. But <laughs> but I <think>, uh, see. <laughs> although maybe there's a good character to be had there. I don't know. But no. but. At the same time, I don't see the point in doing the Ring of Honor or Dragon Gate thing when those things already exist. That audience is satiated. I am much more interested in going off and, frankly, doing it on on my own terms and failing in that version in the pursuit of something new or a bit more hybrid. I, I just don't see the point of doing things like I'll be frank with you, I'm I am less critical of T N A than you are. I know I know a lot of the people there they're nice people, but I agree with you that to a large level, you will never Be break out on your own, in my opinion, by being WWE light and just trying to do what they do and doing it on a smaller scale. There is a business for them there. They do a very a a, a more than solid cable number. That's not what I want to do. I'm going for something a little more. If a phrase I never thought I would use in terms of my wrestling, a little more artistically interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my only uh, complaint with TNA is simply because I mean it. I don't like Bischoff, and I don't like Hogan. Uh, and well, I Dirk think they're Devinces, having. By
2: the way, just hit a phenomenal shot. If you didn't
1: see that, <laughs> oh, I'm watching it. Yeah, and Vince Russo is not. I he and I, I he and I had a, like a little screamy match in C, and see uh, when he was in WCW over whether or not uh, I deserved a pass or not. So I, I'm not a fan of Vince Russo. One thing I think that's interesting is that you're going to be based out of LA for the most part. Yes, I saw that from your tapings. Okay, will there be a lot of names that we might know to the casual fan on this?
2: In na- wrestling names or Hollywood names? Yes.
1: Well, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I will be frank with you that I am. I am not in this again in the sense of trying to do something new i don't see the point again of like okay if you look at like the west coast guys like i joey ryan's a nice guy i think he's a talented enough guy Uh, and i'm not saying i would i I would you know i'd work with him potentially joey ryan on 15 different shows is joey ryan i'm not interested in taking that guy and giving you the same character you've seen so generally speaking guys you're going to see me err on the side of creating new characters with very few exceptions I am. I hate to use this term, given how it's and I. Use, and again, nothing personal with Joey Ryan. I'm just yeah. using him as an example because he's a SoCal indie guy. But um, I, I really, I hate. I hate to use this term, given how it's been applied to the wrestling business. But I'm really trying to go create my own universe. I don't. Again, I don't. You can go and get a lot of these guys in their present format on three other shows. I'm not sure why it's at all special to give you the same thing on mine.
1: I you're trying to also do seasons as your format for the most part, which we saw a little bit of with Ring of Honor when they were on HDNet. But it actually seems more a lot of like Bellator uh, for MMA is. I mean, it's not going to be something that a lot of fans are used to with the seasons format.
2: Yeah, I, that's all the more reason to do it. Again, I, I simply don't see the point in going and doing stuff that's all been done before. We're in it's 2011, okay? And I believe you have to program ahead. You should be thinking about 2013 right now, not 1997. That that ship has sailed. That day has come and gone. The reality is the way we consume our content now is fundamentally different. And so my instinct, and I might be wrong, but we're going to find out, is that you can actually design these shows to work in the new way that we consume content. And I'll ask you guys, I mean, what's, Give me a couple. Give me one or two TV shows you guys like. Just throw some.
1: I'll give you a community. I see uh, most of what I watch is uh, is twenty four episode seasons. Um, that's my fine. Stuff. Okay, we use community. So How I Met Your it. Mother, Big okay. Bang Theory, uh, Chuck, which is going to be going to a half season format. That's, but I,
2: that's fine. I got twenty. So uh, let's use community. So community is a show that started out and it was not even that didn't do great numbers its first season. It's slow and it's by the way still it's slowly picking up, but it's got a nice. Uh, fan base that is like a hardcore base that really likes it right right so nowadays if you recommend community uh more often than not the way that you see this stuff work is when you have friends that go and watch it in many cases if you said to somebody today hey when's community on they may say to you i don't know what you're talking about i watch it either on hulu off of iTunes, or I wait for the season and watch it all on Netflix. Right? That's right. And you Correct. see that more and more now. This started when the DVD television boom happened, because even when DVDs were cresting and were no longer the force they were, uh, they, the TV box sets were the last things to do really well. The way we watch these shows now has fundamentally changed. It's why Family Guy got cancelled and then brought back, simply because of those DVD sets, and they, they, they took off. And so my belief is that now you can program for this changing world for the people that go and watch with replay value Dexter or Doctor Who or any of these shows on Netflix, Hulu, iTunes, DVD on down. So to me, that's how I consume my content now. And also, you know, the thing I think is interesting is that wrestling programming has never been approached really from the idea or generally is not approached from the idea of of replayability. It's not like USA can rerun a Monday night raw. That's not what they do. It's one of the things by the way that makes their library value not worth as much. I'm trying to go slightly in the opposite. I'm going to try to design things with larger narratives that are driven by three act structure, which is one of my real key complaints with the state of the business today and and make a Product that is designed for people to be consumed even years after the fact, blitzing a season in a weekend if they want to. Uh, the movie example I point to all the time is, and there's plenty of them, is Big Lebowski. Uh, you guys seen The Big Lebowski with Jeff Bridges? Oh, yes. Okay, great movie. So The Big Lebowski made no money at the box office. It was not a successful movie. But what happened was it had such a cult value because it was that in home oh. entertainment, the audience just expanded where now The Big Lebowski is one of the most licensed movies you'll see. You go to Comic-Con, it's everywhere, and it will continue to be licensed until the day we die. So that is the consumer that I'm actually really interested in getting. My view is wrestling fans, as crazy as this sounds, are the easiest audience to get because they're wrestling fans. They want to sample new wrestling. If you get good word of mouth, you heard there's a good match. Or you may download it illegally, frankly, but you're going to go check it out. If you could do something with compelling and complete storytelling, I think that has a chance to bring back both lapsed fans, which is interesting to me, and also give wrestling fans just a different flavor. And and I think that that's really the key, guys. I think my big complaint if I look at this stuff is I come from a storytelling business, and and the basics of storytelling are three-act structure, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Act one, act two, act three. The fact is, WWE, and I'll just use them as the example because they're the biggest game in town, they don't really do that anymore. That's not what they give you. I would point to the Vince McMahon coma angle that's a very perfect mm, recent yeah. example. Yeah. Okay. You would not accept that lack of storytelling or shoddiness from any, from your Big Bang Theory, from community, from any of those shows. I don't believe if that happened, if Chevy Chase just disappeared in the middle of the community <laughs> season, was not referred to again, I don't believe that you would go. Uh, and keep giving community a chance because it's a you have an emotional equity with your audience as a creator. The minute you blow that, you're screwed. Yeah. And so, really, I, I'm, I'm very interested in designing things for this format and with the thinking similar to people that would buy a single issue of a comic book uh, or to the other and larger growing group that buy them in trade paperback or graphic novel, as people call them. Uh, that is where we've started to go. And so, look, wrestling to me has always been an innovator when it comes to the early days of television, early days of cable early days of pay-per-view, early days of the internet. It's just what wrestling does. I don't see any reason why it, it it's not worth trying to do the same sort of thing here to address this new way we get our content. So that is the aim. I, hey, I may screw it up, guys. Maybe I'm not capable. We're going to find that out. But I promise you this, if people down, donate their dollar or spend their time to watch it, they know at the bare minimum they're going to get stories with complete beginning, middle, and end. And I think at the minimum that's better than what you get generally from WWE these days.
0: Oh no, I agree with you 100%. Uh, especially for the fact that I okay, I'm the, I'm I'm the watcher that has hopped in and out over the like the last few years. Uh, I was really into it during like, you know, the the Raw versus Nitro wars and stuff like that and when when you know we talked before the show, being able to watch wrestling on a Monday night With two companies going head to head, and on a Thursday night with two companies going head to head, and then on top of that, you know, Nitro being like replayed, like uh, TNT would replay Nitro. Nitro would go off the air, so they play something for a minute, and then Nitro would like come back on like you know late at night.
2: And by the way, those Nitro replays were doing incredible numbers.
0: Yes, yes, they were fantastic numbers, and you know, and that you know, and then once all that died down, then WWF, well, then WWE um, became became the only game in town. I started to see this drop, and and like it really became evident when I like I walked away because I was just I was just done because to me competition to me always brings out the best in everybody. Absolutely. I agree. There are things with the WWE that I still like. There are certain characters I like, but I just remember and it happened this year. They bring back The Rock, one of my favorite wrestlers ever. He's part of the Attitude Era. That's when I hop back in Stone Cold, The Rock, all that stuff. That's when I got back in the game again, and they bring him back to kind of feud with Cena and then the whole time like you know the, the kid in me is like excited but the adult in me is like well you do know he just finished filming Fast Five you do know he's got to go on tour to promote this movie you do know he's not going to wrestle you do know that this whole thing with Wrestlemania is just a ploy to get people to watch Wrestlemania because they don't have a card you do and I'm and i and I'm like no man, it's, it's not going to be that way but like you know the common sense side of me is like it is that way so you're just going to have to deal with it because nothing is going to happen and nothing happened and then the night after wrestlemania what do you get you get the rock saying you know what fight me in miami next year at at next wrestlemania i'm like well why was he even around i mean i know why but it just it made no sense to me that whole story made no sense whatsoever
2: yeah, WrestleMania for me was kind of the the tipping point or the really the beginning of the end. I had been frustrated for a while and it was the first year uh, I really felt ripped off by the show. And a lot of that comes, I've said this in a bunch of the interviews I've done, I look at this stuff because I come from the entertainment industry and I've sort of had to look at these metrics a lot over the years at, at sort of the a, a, dollar, a dollar sort of uh, to entertainment value sort of prism. And with The idea being that $65 for WrestleMania for four hours of entertainment, okay, mm-hmm. is so that $65, I could go buy a video game that amount of money right so that's what you're asking me to sort of look at are are these two things worth 65 dollars well in one case i spend i get four hours or in a regular pay-per-view 55 dollars for three hours which is also basically a video game all right and i get three hours or four hours of entertainment hopefully i'm not guaranteed great finish i'm not guaranteed great matches it's a crapshoot yeah if i buy that video game i'm getting probably a month of gameplay downloadable levels, in many cases, multiplayer. And when I'm done, I can trade the game in for for store credit for another game. And so this becomes really, really hard to justify in a world where gas is $4 a gallon. And frankly, it's one of the reasons with 12 pay-per-views a month, WrestleMania is the show people buy, maybe Royal Rumble because that impacts WrestleMania. And otherwise, it's why you've seen the drive to piracy that you've seen. People are just, look at this and they go, $55, I could pay $8 and get Netflix streaming and have WWE content on
1: there. There you go. Also, the factors in is that let's be honest wrestling is not sports it's sports entertainment and therefore because of that entertainment side it is the only sports section that kind of defies the whole you need to watch it now now you need to watch it live you need to watch it when it comes on because basically a lot of wrestling outside of nitro i'm sorry i'm sorry raw is taped and so it doesn't matter if you get it on a on a time shift. If you watch yeah, it on no- your DVR, you download it or you watch it again at another time because wrestling by its nature is different.
2: We look as consumers now In the world we live in with the internet accessibility and Netflix, Hulu, and these things, we want our content when we want it, where we want it, how we want it, at the price point we want it at. If you don't give it to us, we will steal it. That is the – just that's the world we live in. And ultimately, I think – like I got a lot of friends at WWE. There's some very nice people there. I like Hunter and Stephanie very much personally. But at the end of the day, I think the product at a certain level is overexposed in terms of its model and certainly overpriced. And I think that you've just got to sort of look at this and go, all right. You're never gonna compete with them in terms of spectacle. You're never gonna compete with them in terms of their cash reserves. You're never gonna compete with them in terms of their machinery or their institutional advantage by being the number one promotion for my lifetime. Okay. You have to compete with them in the areas you can. And in my view, the places you can go to push them are in their 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 weaknesses in the creative model. And that is, again, this changing shape of content distribution, I think, allows you to go do this finally. It's it's it gives you that move you need to go you know maybe there's another way other than going 52 weeks a year i gotta be on every week and i gotta sell a pay-per-view every month that model's existed since i was in middle school yeah really you know uh i'm 32 years old now so it seems to me it's not a bad idea to give it a shot
0: but it's funny how you mentioned like kind of like the oversaturation of things i remember once uh wwf took out wcw and they ran the roost they at one time had velocity heat superstars raw smackdown and a recap show hey they had all of that and i mean the grant they had more than enough wrestlers to cover it all but even and but now you know they have no no competition really now i mean they have it but it's not strong you know it's not strong competition but and there's less programming but it still it still feels overexposed
2: well, I think a lot of this is—I think, just personally speaking—and other people are more than welcome to disagree. But I think that, personally, to me, a bit of that emotional equity that I've given them over the years, I feel burned on slightly. I, that trust for me has kind of gone. I don't—I don't. When they start pushing the guy, I don't trust them to go all the way with him anymore because I've seen so many stops and starts. When they start a big angle, look at the Nexus. That was a hot angle, maybe the hottest they've had in a couple years. Where did it pay off?
0: Yeah. Or, or bet- okay.
2: So why – or Alberto Del Rio now. Or, why, or Sheamus, Wade Barrett. We could do this all day. Yeah. Why should I invest – And trust – look, guys, we all know it's a work, Okay, We all know – when I walk into a movie, I know that it's actors playing roles. But that doesn't mean I want the filmmaker in the middle of the movie to walk into the middle of the movie, break the fourth wall, and kick me in the nuts for being stupid (laughs) enough to pay a ticket to their movie. Yet these guys do it all the time, and it offends me as a consumer. And I would say to you very simply – I use this example all the time. If you look at uh, earlier this year's Survivor Series – WWE pay-per-view, $55. I mean, that's that's more than half of people's cable bills in a lot of areas. Could be someone's entire cable bill. okay And so $55 for that show, if you're getting me to buy the show because Miz is going to cash in money in the bank and you're hitting that really hard, that he's going to cash in money in the bank and I'm going to go see history get made. Alright, here's my $55. Let's go. I turn on the show. Miz comes out and he says, I'm going to cash in tonight. I'm going to cash in tonight. Alright, I'm getting excited. And then guess what? He doesn't cash in tonight and in fact cashes in for free the very next night on raw Hmm. i'm the schmuck that just spent 55 dollars to get pardon my french to get dick teased yeah okay why in the world would i give you my 55 dollars again it's like taking a girl to dinner on a think you're going out on a date you walk her to your door you go to kiss her and she knees you in the nuts okay (laughs) so if you take that girl out three more times and she keeps kneeing you in the nuts when you go to kiss her, at a point in the time, she's not the, the bad person you are. You're the moron. Be- and, and I think at a certain level, we're all guilty of this. We do this out of habit because it's the big show in town and we want to love it. We are so desperate to love it. But I think in a lot of ways, they do stuff that I don't. Did Brian Cardinal just strip LeBron James? That might be <laughs> the single most surreal moment of my basketball watching career. Forgive me. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, uh, And then Jason Terry just threw it away from Brian Cardinal. So there you go. Uh,
1: Look, I had to see Brian Cardinal when he played here for the Grizzlies. And he was horrible then. And now he's like, what, six years older and even worse?
2: He, what, what? Uh, Someone, Tim Collishaw from ESPN made a joke earlier in the evening because uh, it was right. You had a shootout between the, uh, between him and Jawan Howard, and he was like the NBA playoffs where mid '90s Big Ten basketball happens, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. It took me all the way back. I'm getting, having Michigan versus Purdue flashes,
0: and you know, somewhere right now, Chris Webber is real salty.
2: Look, Chris Weber, I watched Chris Weber play a lot. I'm from Detroit. Yes. Uh Chris Weber blocked he, my brother played against him. Weber blocked a shot of my brothers that I don't believe has landed yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like my brother's like, you know, the five five nine and Jewish point guard going up and just having Chris Weber knock it. Literally, it's it's at like Pluto at this point. Hmm. To me, you have to set goals in economies of scale. And so I'm not sitting there saying I want to go – I'm not modeled to try to go and knock WWE off their perch. What I am modeled to do is go off and create my own thing that if I can price it the right way, I can go hit doubles and continue to make seasons of this and let them build on each other. And that is a victory. And I just think that, again, you see this hunger. Look, TNA does one-ones, one-twos consistently, right? right. So there's an audience that's watching. They may not be buying the pay-per-views, but they're watching that, that show because there is a hunger for alternative product out there. And, and at the end of the day, wrestling is not an expensive piece of content to create. And it really just comes down to, you know, what are your creative chops and what's your, what is your philosophy at that level? And I think, frankly, guys, I lived this a little bit when I worked at New Line. It's just the nature of the beast. When someone is 60 something years old has made hundreds of millions of dollars on a specific model with a specific point of view, at that age, at that point, they're not going to change. Vince Mm -hmm. is in legacy mode. So Vince has no reason to change. And frankly, guys, the internet stuff, when people go, why isn't Zack Ryder doing this or da-da-da, that actually doesn't help those guys. You have to understand the philosophy over there. It's Vince's world. He will decide who is and isn't a star. Mm -hmm. And he, he may at some point do it just to spite you. And so for me... I just think there's got to be another way to go about this. And I come from the, the Hollywood philosophy of how you groom and grow stars. And really, you've got you've to produce them, protect them, and present them well. That's the key. And it's not rocket science. It really isn't.
0: One last thing that turned me off from from, from basically from wrestling in, in in general, and that's what made me like really really get hyped about the Wrestling Revolution uh, Kickstarter project. They gave Christian the belt, one of my favorite wrestlers ever. They gave him the belt to uh, for uh, for basically a week for him to surrender it to uh, to Orton.
1: Uh, that that just pissed me off. So go, and go Dean ahead. and I argue over that because I keep saying the only reason they had him drop it was a because of. Orton having the movie coming out in B because well Orton's kind of a dick and demanded the belt I'm, from what I've heard. I don't know, man. It just yeah. it
0: just didn't sit it honestly didn't sit right with me, and I, I don't even want to go into that WWE film division thing either. That's a that's a whole other thing. That's it's a separate movie. episode. Yeah, I, mean, I was a
1: I was I mean I was a Nitro I was a WCW Homer for years. I mean I still watched WWE during the Attitude Era. Speaking this way, I date all the way back to. Uh, mid set to to Bill Watts' mid South and Crockett. That's how far back I date with uh, UWF and w- USWA, WCCW. WCW I knew and all I knew that. when
2: I came on here. I had a feeling you were a big Eric Embry fan. I knew it. Oh
1: fuck, Eric Embry!
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that man was strange.
2: Ah, uh, Eric my- Embry.
1: Because he, he used to come to Memphis for the USWA pay- pay-per-views, and anybody that liked to walk around naked and was almost as hairy as Dutchman Tell.
2: <laughs> I just want to know, where is P.Y. Chuhai today?
1: Oh,
0: my.
2: <laughs> See, I, don't, don't I think question my dead. wrestling nerdiness. I can go. Oh, no, you I went there.
1: he's dead because virtually everybody that was in WCCW is dead. Outside of Kevin Von Erich and Stone Cold, they're all dead.
2: Well, I tonight I will pour out a little of my forty for uh, Py Chuhai. High.
1: <laughs> Py was great, but uh, no, I mean I dropped out of
2: one of our finest white men playing Asian <laughs> characters ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pat Tanaka, uh, truly a uh... staple. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Pat Tanaka always cracked me up because Pat Tanaka's accent is like what pure su- is pure southern california and he always had fuji talking for him and i'm like really you're having mr fuji talk for pat tanaka really (laughs) really yeah,
2: I look I that's sort of the thing too. I think we're just it's two thousand and eleven. Let's subvert some of these stereotypes and, and let's try to move on and, and move into the twenty first Kofi- century a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: we won't mention the names Kofi Kingston. Hi, I'm from Ghana, but I'm gonna act like I'm from Jamaica. What?
2: Uh, I mean I make a joke all the time. My favorite thing with WWE and black characters is the biblical first name, last name of a US president. That's yes. how they that is the move. Yeah. I keep waiting for Moses. Where is Moses Roosevelt? I want <laughs> to get it on. Let's go. If they don't do it, I'm creating that character. Fuck it. It's uh, mine.
1: Uh, Johnson.
0: Uh, i tell you, no, No, yeah, that, that drives me crazy about, about WWE as well. It's just like when they, especially in like, I guess it was like one time I turned it on, they were really giving Ezekiel Jackson a push. And I'm like, is that his name? Are you serious? Are, are, are you serious? That's his name.
1: And he uses the torture rack. Come on! <laughs> yeah, I just minute, I in find the
2: again I think there's an institutional philosophy at a certain level. I think it's tone deafness to the audience. Look, how can you do how can you do commercials about anti-bullying and then have your announcers rip on Vicky Guerrero's weight for 20 minutes? It it, yeah. it? I think that there's a lot of that stuff that goes on that just doesn't compute. And really, guys, what it's about is just having three-dimensional characters. If you, if you look at television through the 2000s, who are the characters that have dominated television? They're Tony Soprano. Don Draper, Vic Mackey, Dexter Morgan. All of these guys, what do they have in common? Even Grissom on CSI. They're really complicated. In many cases, they're not good guys. Look at Larry David. Larry David's an asshole. okay? (laughs) But you root for these guys because the way they're presented and the way the stories are framed, it's shades of gray and it's deep. And the reality is... That what these shows don't do now is give three-dimensional characters, and really, story—it's it, got to come, actions got to come as an extension of character, and that's what doesn't happen now. And that was what Paul Heyman's real strength was: was Paul, Paul found those characters and made you believe in a way where, like, I always joke, Taz is shorter than I am. Yet for three years he had you think he was the baddest motherfucker alive because that the way he was presented, protected and the way they used and they told their story, everything he did was an extension of that character. And it's 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 not rocket science, as I said, but I think a lot of this comes from. Are you plugged in at all to the culture? And I would ask you guys, I made this joke to my friend I had lunch with today. It's uh, It's 2011. Uh, John Cena comes walking out, and look, John Cena sells a lot of merch. He's a very nice guy. I like John, but I got to ask you guys: Do how many friends of yours? And maybe I'm in LA, and I'm not seeing it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. How many of your friends are walking around in jean shorts?
0: I have khaki shorts. I got a couple of jeans.
2: Not khaki shorts. I don't. I'm saying Bret Hart jean shorts. No, not
0: the Bret Hart jean shorts. No, 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 (laughs) no. That that's a no, (laughs) no.
2: That's my point, and I'm—you're trying to make your characters cool. There's nothing three-dimensional about the John Cena character, and that is—and again, look—he's their biggest draw. It's working to a level for them, and he'll draw a great number with Rocky. But I just think in a television era where it's defined by these really three-dimensional characters, you have to keep up, particularly if your entire line of of talking point is that your competition is not UFC, it's scripted one-hour dramas. Well, that's horseshit because you don't remotely compete with them then in that case.
0: No, and seeing in the whole thing with um, with wrestling revolution trying to take a 12 episode season that that's, that's your story structure. So you have to tell a story. There, you know there is no choice. A story has to be told, there has to be a beginning, middle and end and that is going to benefit what you're trying to do.
2: Look, you may not like it, but you at least go, you know what? I got a complete story. And it may, you know, we're going to take some chances. But I think, again, if someone recommends Dexter to you and you go and check it out, finally, you may not like the show. But, you know, if you watch those 12 episodes, you're going to be told a complete story over the course of a season. It may leave you with a cliffhanger even. But generally speaking, you will be given a fulfilling ride. That is almost the social contract you enter into when you start a season in the way we consume this stuff now. And so by virtue of that, I think, yeah, th- th- there is a unique opportunity to give you this format, give you complete characters with arcs and structures, setups and payoffs, no different from how I would develop a movie. And then in the, after that ends, as seasons continue, God willing, if it works, you continue to have those seasons layer on top of each other so that, you know, did either of you guys ever watch the shield? Oh yeah. It- oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So I love The Shield. I was a big, Sean Ryan's one of my favorite TV writers ever. And there's a beat in like season three of The Shield where Aceveda, the captain of the, uh, of the farm, the police precinct, gets held at gunpoint and is forced to literally blow a gangbanger. OK, well, the gangbanger is videotaping it on his camera phone. All right. So now Sean Ryan and the writers don't touch that scenario for like two more seasons, okay? But because they have earned an emotional equity with their audience, the audience has a trust because to date they have never introduced anything that has not been paid off. The audience is waiting and watching for two seasons, knowing that this is going to get paid off. And guess what? It gets paid off and it pays off in a big way. That's setups and payoffs. That's the heart of storytelling. And I think that you can do this and apply it in this way. And I would ask you guys, you know, uh, do, does WWE ever do that? Who was driving the white Hummer in WCW? I don't even remember.
0: <laughs> what, I thought it was Norman Smiley.
2: <laughs> was that so. the payoff? I don't even remember. That I, I, think, I think that was the,
0: the- wiggle. Yes, big wiggle. I think it was Norman smile cuz like th- that was that was the quote-unquote payoff because to me it came off as it came off as well we don't know what, what to do with it. Exactly,
2: uh, it's big middle finger. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon's coma. When Vince McMahon walks out after the coma, he doesn't even acknowledge what happened and in fact even worse, a couple weeks earlier, he has a dream sequence where he gets up, breaks the fourth wall to do the ad thing for his his wife running for office. Uh, and basically shatters the entire thing. Now, again, I know it's a work, guys, but I'm watching. I want to suspend my disbelief for two hours. Don't make a schmuck out of me for putting my uh, trust in you. That's right. And so that's the thing, guys. I guess, really, it comes down to sort of how how jokey you treat your storytelling, how much respect you want. I'm looking for relatively dense storytelling at the end. I, I'd rather be more complicated than not. And I would say to you, I use this example all the time, animation's a great example. Okay, The best animation works at two different levels. It works at a base level for kids, and then it's got a smart, subversive level for adults. Their parents can watch and get something completely different, right? right. Well, that's like Pixar. Pixar movies are the best movies because of how they're developed. I want to go and actually create a wrestling storyline or, or wrestling uh, uh, form of script writing that might actually assume my audience are literate, smart people who are not stark raving morons. And by the way, I'll take stark raving morons too, and there'll be plenty there, but I'd like to really try to aim a little bit higher and see if I can make a really, really smart, relevant to today kind of show with those kind of characters. And, you know, I said this to my friend at lunch today. It's like, if you, if I have friends over the years who have all the time, particularly in Hollywood, who have said, why do you watch this stuff? Why do you like it? Okay. And I would love to be able to say to them, Come over and let me show you an episode of Monday Night Raw and and I'll show you why. But the reality is I can't do that because it's not guaranteed that they're not going to do something that completely embarrasses me. Right. All right. And makes me ashamed at a certain level to be a wrestling fan. And that's just the truth. And so I want to do something for people like me who want to show why they love it. And again, I may fail. I may not pull it off, okay? I feel pretty strongly about the vision we've got. I think we've got a pretty strong direction. I I just would rather err and fail on the side of being fresh and smart and take my chances.
1: Just to get to kind of the structure of what the shows will be, I mean, you're aiming for, what, about a one-hour show weekly or two-hour or 3 hour.
2: 90, 90 minutes, ideally.
1: Okay. And it's not just going to – money coming not just from the Kickstarter project, but I assume ads at the arena, ads uh, – tickets from the arena and ads from uh, the streaming – Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to try and get on DirecTV? Because uh, you keep you mentioned Ring of Honor a couple times, but I saw that they had lost their contract with uh, HDNet.
2: Not a priority. Stay tuned. We'll be making a distribution announcement pretty soon.
1: <laughs> okay. I'm uh, sorry,
2: to be coy. I, I apologize. No,
1: no. Until you've got it solidified, why would you announce anything and let? It, d-
2: yeah, I've learned, uh, I've heard of the hard way. You're better off having everything locked. But yeah. believe yeah. me, I think you're going to find the way we try to approach this is a little bit
1: different. I assume multiple titles or single title or yeah, a title.
2: <laughs> I'm doing something slightly different with my titles, and I I apologize. I'm not going to tell you that right now.
0: Oh, uh, no, that's, fine. There's, that's a very,
2: fine. there's a very clear plan. It's a little again. It's a little different.
0: As long as you can make the belts mean something. You know, you will get a donation from me because that's
1: I, the, the. Believe me, okay? I will give you fifty dollars as long as there's no spinner belt.
2: You, I could promise you that. <laughs> that no spinner belt, no jean shorts, no sixty-five-year-old uh, naked ass with grown men kissing. Look, you look, my... I'm not
0: gonna lie. I like the spinner belt. I know it's it's played out now, but when it first came out, when when spinners were the thing, I did like that. Is it You're played out say,
2: now? It came out after spinners were the thing. That was the whole point. Yes, it but... was. It was already passe.
0: I liked it though, and but it, it, any, everything has, has a beginning and an end, and like and like now, granted, when Miz turned it upside down, that was clever. I was like, okay, I'm good right there with that. But, but now I don't have a purpose for it because it's ultra played out now.
2: It's it's ridiculous. Uh, no, I haven't. Look, guys. I am a firm believer that wrestling revolves around – I think titles are important. I think one of the things WWE's done that's not smart is they've devalued their titles consistently, yet they still promote their shows in matches for those titles. So it's got to be important. It's going to be a very key thrust of that season, guys. You have my word on that. The way I do it and present it may be a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I mean I look at somebody like Miz, who I think would be a great guy just to slap a belt on and let everybody chase him because I mean I come from the eighties, uh, WCW I, I, and I, I WA.
2: Would I would have kept it on him all year.
1: Yeah, I mean Ric Flair, I mean, made them a shit ton of money because fans want to come see the heel get his ass beat, but still come out away with the belt. I mean, freaking honky tonk man let was the beast show main card guy for the wwf for over a year when he held the intercontinental belt because people wanted to see him get his head beat in and maybe get maybe lose the belt he's a great chicken shit heel
2: the championship Great. scene is re- was relatively stale, which is why the Miz thing was refreshing. And ultimately, I think that you've, I had lunch maybe three weeks ago with an old buddy of mine that I worked at New Line with who's now at Paramount. And uh, he's an old school wrestling fan and he's sort of a lapsed fan. He hasn't kept up on it. And he said to me, well, you know, who are the champions today? And I said, oh, it's John Cena and Randy Orton. And he goes, oh, that's who it was the last time I watched, like five years ago. And that's an issue. And I just think that that's why the, Miz and why Sheamus at least was interesting when they did that. I agree with you. I would not. I've said that. I mean, Miz is a friend of mine. We've had the conversation. He's got a great attitude. He'll be fine. I'm sure he'll carry the belt again. But I would not have taken it off of him. I, I, more importantly, because Rock and Cena doesn't need the belt. Right. You could showcase somebody. You, if Miz had kept the belt for the year and then you really put somebody over with it, there could have been a big deal.
1: And uh, stuff you did there. What exactly was your role at New Line?
2: I was an uh, executive, vice president of production.
1: This is going to sound bad and saying uh, what exactly because I know for a lot of people they're going to be listening to it. What exactly did your job entitle?
2: Oh, uh, buy material, develop material, get it packaged, get it made, oversee the production through release. You're a producer, basically. You just work for. The, I'm a studio executive, so I don't know. That's that's probably the most common terminology for it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, right. yeah. I just wanted it because I mean sometimes you hear, oh, you're the executive vice president of production, but you're, but you're like, okay, and what's your job? In title, really? No, I, I, I my job was saying. to go.
2: So I bought, you know, we'd go buy material, develop that material, get screenplays done, attach filmmakers, then attach cast. Then go through budgeting. You got to hit a P&L target. Then you get the movie, hopefully, greenlit. Then you've got to go oversee the entire production through post. Then you got to get the movie out through marketing. You're doing all of that.
0: Now, now, how did a young man growing up in Detroit, Michigan, go from there through wrestling and ended up making it in Hollywood? How how, how did that transition? Happen?
2: I had always Hollywood was always the ambition, and I always I was a kid who would try to like. I had a checklist of stuff I wanted to do. I was an ambitious kid. I always was. And I was the sort of kid who just wanted to go check stuff off the list. And when I was – I was lucky enough when I was a kid, uh, I met Bob Shea, the founder of New Line Cinema's father, at a party my parents ran. And I was – I knew who he was. I, was. I was already at this point like, I, I want to go to Hollywood. I want to make movies eventually. Movies were my, – my real loves as a kid were movies, comics, and sports, which if you put them all in a blender, are pro wrestling. You know, that's that is the sort of genesis of those of that sort of genre. And um through the Max Shea interaction, ended up winning a bet with him. He had to send my nightmare on Home Street ideas to Bob. And Bob and I ended up sort of corresponding. I was in fourth grade. He said, someday, kid, you can come out to L.A. and make a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Totally blowing smoke up my ass. But I was like, that's it. I've got my in. So it was always sort of eye on the prize at that point. And then when I was 15, got a really nice career break. I got my own radio show on a big station in Detroit, 50,000 watt station. Did the Today Show got some newspapers, a lot of coverage? Was a sort of the uh, young talk radio host. Through that, I was the only guy in Detroit at that time that would promote wrestling, um, because it was sort of a cold sort of time for the business. Through that, I got discovered by a guy named Zane Bresloff, who was sort of one of the quietly underrated, really powerful and really important guys in the history of the of the modern business. Um, Excuse me, he promoted WrestleMania three and was responsible for WCW's arena expansion in the boom. He took a liking to me and ultimately ended up connecting me with Eric Bischoff, who first met me. They had done, I've told the story a couple times, but I'll do the quick version for you guys. 1994, 95, I think it was 95. Halloween Havocs in Detroit. The main event is Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair in a retirement match. Okay? Nice retirement match, so please. (laughs) And Muhammad Ali's there, Mr. T's there. They're doing a whole thing. They did a TV, a a press conference that was going to be used, I think, on WCW Saturday night. I was there, I was the only one there that actually asked them questions related to the storyline, so they loved it, and Flair could go off on it, Hogan could interact, and they ended up using some of it on WCW Saturday Night, so I met Eric there and he was kind of, oh, this is thank you, I've heard of you da-da-da-da-da, and we just sort of kept rolling from there, when I was 16 my radio show got cancelled, went through a year of really deep depression, oh god I've peaked at 16, it's all over da-da-da-da, and when I was 17, got a call one day saying, "Will you come to Atlanta. And so they, I was underage. They had to fly my mom in with me. And originally they were going to do a uh, sort of Double Dare style game show using the WCW guys. Never happened, obviously, but that's where they hired me and got me in. And so I was a kid in high school who would leave on a Friday, fly to the city, do the pay-per-view, and then come back on Monday. I mean, it was wild. wild. And one week you're in Tupelo, Mississippi, or Molino, Illinois. The next you're in Las Vegas or San Francisco uh, with a per diem and you know travel expense from, from Ted Turner. Uh, and it was incredible training for show business. It was it was like grad school. It, you could not ask for a better training for Hollywood. Uh, my first paycheck for Turner, I got a variety subscription and really just sort of set myself up to the point when I finally decided I want to drop out of college and get out to L.A. and just go for it uh, and call in my chip. When I finally called in my chip with Bob, at the time – Time Warner was in kind of a down period, and WCW was one of the highlights. So it actually got me a bit of street cred with Bob. Uh, who was like, ah, oh, you're 19, you can PA or intern. Uh, and so I took the internship knowing I could network from there, drove out uh, from Detroit with my dad, arrived in LA on my 20th birthday, uh, never looked back, started as an intern 40 hours a week for free, living on ramen and baked potatoes, mm-hmm. and having a great time doing it, and was an executive there within four years. My, and my first movie was Freddy versus Jason, so I, I actually got to pay off that childhood dream, which was awesome. And really, from that point, it was sort of like, all right, now that I've done that, everything else here is gravy. I got to pull off my little childhood goal, and I really just tried to go and do as risky sort of set of stuff as I could do. I went and go got Battle Battle Royale, the Japanese movie, if you've ever heard of that, which was a big deal to go get. Yeah. Gears of War. I worked on Iron Man when it was at New Line. It's got, I was sort of a geek executive, and, and my my thing was always like, look, the money that I saved from WCW was really how I survived that first year to a large level. And so I've always been loyal to the business. I've been very open about about it. Look, guys, when I was uh, a couple years ago, Variety's 10 producers to watch and they did the profile on all of us. When they do a profile on you, they ask you to put your influences. I put Vince McMahon as an influence. So, I mean, I've always tried to point to that as, and the advantage it gave me in terms of Hollywood and really just tried to as an executive where I could be a friend of the business at the very minimum. So I put Triple H in Blade 3, use Christian and shoot him up, try to get guys meetings and really just felt like I had an obligation to try to pay the business back always with an eye that at some point maybe i may go back and try to do something in it again but th- either way if i was going to do that do it on my own terms
1: and we said and uh, we were talking sean and i beforehand and uh he saw that you had written some uh, for DC for a little bit, and actually had done work on Booster Gold. Now, what did you? Do, uh, what was your primary on that? Was it outlines? Was it script treatments? What exactly?
2: I co-wrote the book. Jeff Johns and I did the book together.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Now, what was it like working with uh, with uh, Jeff Johns?
2: Well, I'd known Jeff. Jeff's from Detroit as well. Okay. So uh, we had met a couple years earlier, and it was one of those things where we I had him in for a general. We were shooting the shit, and I was a big DC Comics fan, uh, and Booster Gold's one of my favorite characters from childhood, because I love that Justice League run, which was really the run of, of my youth. Uh, and it was just sort of one of those things where the timing worked, and I had already had written a book for Image and had already started to get a bit of a rep. My, my, my brand in town was I was the geek executive. So it was one of those things that made sense and Jeff was earlier in his career where he was trying to break through to the Hollywood end a bit more and I got lucky enough that it worked out. And it was an incredible opportunity. And I, I'm very proud of the book. The book was, was very well received. It was commercially successful as well. Uh, it continues to sell in trades which is awesome. Uh, and Again, I think if you look at that, it's a fair model for a sort of what we try to do here. Those were individual issues that told complete stories in the individual issue but also built a larger narrative over 12 issues in those trades and they are i think ultimately analogous in terms of storytelling form.
0: I'm going to flip the script uh, for a moment. I'm going How f-
2: dare you? This interview <laughs> over.
0: I'm going to uh go to I'm going to go back to Wrestling Re- Revolution and the one thing that um, that caught my eye, another thing that caught my eye is that the season uh, will be available for streaming on justin.tv. And I know of justin.tv from uh, the mystery science theater 3000 channel. And and when I saw that you were um, stream, that you're going to stream this season of uh, Wrestling Revolution through Justin TV, it brought up, you know, brought up to my mind like Justin TV, Blip TV, and all of these um, forms of internet, internet television, where you can just watch, you know, original programming on the internet, and, and how that's competing with cable now, and it's competing pretty heavily, in my personal opinion, it's competing heavily, and and I'm starting to notice now that for some these some of these cable companies that are worried. Like in my mind, I start to notice that like a lot of these internet companies are starting to like try to cap bandwidths because you know Netflix is absorbing a good amount of um you know of bandwidth during the day or during the net- evening.
2: Netflix Netflix in prime time hours is thirty percent of all internet traffic.
0: You see, And that's heavy, and you know that net, that's heavy, but I like the fact that you know cuz justin tv blip tv and all these other places they go by that model of look you watch it when you want to watch it i still say that you know it's it's really caught my eye how internet television is competing with cable and it's really starting to show.
2: It's like I said earlier, you've got to be anywhere and everywhere that is what they demand and I think the way that you'll see, the, what we do a lot of business with Justin TV uh, I know those guys well, we have actually have some other business with them that I think you'll be hearing about pretty soon, I think you guys will enjoy also. They they are really looking to broaden and expand what they're doing and so Kevin then, their CEO, has become a, a good friend of mine and it these have been really easy conversations. I think you'll see how he Handle that combined with our other sort of distribution partners that you'll hear about shortly mm-hmm. will I think be really kind of different and will it will not tr- be the traditional way of presenting the, the the business that that is again to me it's like if you're going to do it I'd rather innovate and fail doing that sort of stuff you know I just it's it's much more interesting to me and I've never been afraid of failing it um, I when I when I was an executive I would I, my whole attitude when I would sort of advocate a movie was are you willing to get fired for making this movie. And I always found that that was a great way to do it because it meant you were going to go try to take some chances. Uh, and so that's just always more interesting. And I agree with you. And I think at the end of the day, my streaming channel on Justin TV, we've had one with them for a little over a year. I'm at just about 16 million views. I might be over it. I got to check, but I was just about there. So in a yeah. year, a little over a year, 16 million 16 million yeah. views.
1: I've been a Justin TV fan for, I think three years now, and it's com- I like how they've completely changed their model of how they operated, because it did used to be basically, hey, look, it's whatever we can pirate and throw up there. Now it's le- it is now very legitimate.
2: Well, it's more more. It's just like YouTube. It's a lot of Wild West, and then at a point in time, you realize, wow, we do a lot of numbers. Our numbers are competitive with many TV networks. Ooh, I can't believe that was a nice shot by Dirk, but it rimmed out. Uh, sorry, I'm still watching the uh, <laughs> well, uh, It,
1: it They've and, taken advantage of narrow castings to a large extent.
2: Well, that's – I mean, you look at what they do with video gaming. I think you'll see some of the initiatives they have coming out over the next couple months. Pretty interesting. I've been privy to some of that stuff, and some of it will cross over with this, Some of it won't. Uh, oh, that's a dagger shit. it uh, has got plenty of time. You're fine. Uh, I love that people are going to hear this after the fact. I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> uh.
0: With the Wrestling Revolution, with your Kickstarter project, um, you know you are accepting, you know you're, you know accepting donations. Uh, you said, you know, if 100,000 people just donate one dollar, you hit your goal. Um, now, as of this recording, uh, you have 55 days to go. Um, but when this episode airs, it'll probably be like around four, about 48, 49 days to go. What can people expect to receive from Wrestling Revolution if well. they, if they donate?
2: If you go to the Kickstarter page, go to Kickstarter.com and search Wrestling Revolution, which is the the. Uh project page, uh, you'll actually see that when you bid, you actually get incentivized. Ins- incentivized, incentivized. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bungle that word a couple more times. You're going to get incentives for if you donate. So if you go, and I think it's at 50 you get a complimentary copy of the DVD collector set with it, another up with a shirt, you get free admission, you get a free high-quality stream. So the way this crowdsourcing usually works is they will give you different tiers that you can contribute at, and you get prizes Is related to that. So if you go to Kickstarter.com, that's the best way to just go and check, search Wrestling Revolution. It's right there. And really, it's all, I just want, we just want $1 from people. It's about them going, all right, you know what? We will sacrifice, like I said earlier, not supersizing your meal or not getting your morning coffee in the effort to try to push this thing forward. So Kickstarter is the number one crowdsourcing site, certainly in the US, I think in the world. Uh, Generally is used for art, you know, as you said, comics and film and music and art. So it's really kind of cool to get to do this and use their system for wrestling. And they've actually been very supportive as well. They've been a lot of fun to deal with.
0: Oh, yeah. They're good people. Uh, they're really, really good people. Like I said, when we did our Kickstarter project, they were like, you know, very supportive, very quick to respond to us. And it was just great. So, no, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Like We talked about you know, you, you, that you've, did work you've done work in comics and whatnot. Now, growing up, you read a lot of comics. I need to know, what comics did you enjoy most as a kid?
2: Wow! Oh, boy. Um, I read a lot. I mean, the thing of growing up in Detroit was if you took bottles back, you got 10 cents a bottle. So when I was a kid, comics were 75 cents a pop. And you would literally be able to go and put your bottles back and just buy a stack of books. And so I really learned to read on comics. So going back, I was like 65, 35 DC to Marvel, which is a little abnormal for my generation. Usually it's the other way around. Um, And really would probably say... God. I mean I read ever I mean I had subscriptions to West Coast Avengers. I mean that was that bizarre. Yo, no, that, um, that
0: book was dope in the beginning though. That,
2: that was a good book. Yeah. That was a good John Byrne worked on it and had a pretty fun run. Yeah. Um but I so I mean I got the Justice League International run, the Giffen D. Mateus run yeah. there. Um God, I mean, Batman burns Superman. There was a run in action comics that Burn did where each issue was Superman teaming up with other heroes. That was pretty cool. That issue where Booster Um,
0: Gold was like getting beat up by Superman.
2: There's a bunch of there's one where it's Superman versus Superboy even and it was a legion tie-in. But I I read, I mean I'd go to comic conventions all over the place. Motor City Comic Con, which I think still goes on, was how I would buy all my screenplays and stuff. It uh it it's it's been a, I mean, I still have literally in a, in my closet here a bunch of long boxes including one I have a 3-year-old nephew uh that I'm putting together for him already just as a way to sort of start getting him set to get into the hobby. I, gotta think, I don't think I can remember not reading them. Yeah, yeah. you know, you go through your lulls as you get a little older, sometimes stuff like that. But never. I mean, I, honestly, I'm more concerned. I think they're way overpriced now. I, I get the comp box, so I'm lucky enough that I can get them and just read them. Yeah, and uh, I think I. Uh, that they're actually in a little bit of trouble in the long term just because I think the price point's a little out of whack. Plus, you got digital, and we'll see what DC does with this new relaunch. But they've been hugely influential in my life, man. It's, it's, uh, it's just a big part of, of a lot of years of my life in a lot of different ways.
0: Yes. Before we go, before we end this interview, um, can you just remind people where can they go check out the Wrestling uh, Revolution a Kickstarter project and where can they find you on the internet?
2: Sure. Go to Kickstarter.com, search wrestling revolution. It's right there. Come right up. You can follow me on Twitter at Cats Katz Money, K-A-T-Z-M-O-N-E-Y. What's better than cash money, Cats Money. That's my heel <laughs> persona. Thank you. Also, Geekweek.com is our website at GeekWeek Online. Uh, also on Justin TV, our streaming channel. If you go to GeekWeek.com, you can access it right there. We have a deal with High Spots. We run wrestling almost 24-7. We got a lot of great footage. Uh, and the guys at High Spots have been awesome and hugely supportive. So if you're bored, you just want some really cool wrestling. I think we're running, uh, I was running the best of Chris Benoit in Japan earlier, which I know I'm not allowed to say that name, but uh, uh, so, you know, uh, we, we all, I love this business. I love having my hands on right. I'm actually very excited to get to go in and do it again in this way. And so all I ask is, you know, people keep, please keep spreading the word hashtag wrestling revolution on Twitter. If you have questions, drop me a line and really just keep getting out. And please, if you, if you think uh, you have a dollar to spare and it's worth spending, we'd love to have you contribute.
0: Sounds great. Sounds great, Jeff. Once again, I can't say thanks enough for for coming down and doing this interview, and um, we will definitely spread the word of Wrestling Revolution.
2: Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate the time. All right. Have a good night. Take it easy, guys.
3: trying to clean up my comic room a little by little, too, and it's just not working out for me today. <laughs> I need to clean up some of these
0: books, too. I'm like, you know what? I've read some of these books a number of times, and I don't want to read certain books anymore. I'm like, okay,
3: I need to just go ahead and sell some of these motherfuckers. Yeah, that's kind of like where I'm at. I'm going through, like, some do I have doubles of this or do I not? Because... I have a lot of shit here, man, when I was seeing that dude at the flea market and I would just I would scan it real quick to see if there's issues that I needed. But like I said, the guy would sell me like a short box for fifteen bucks. So it's like, all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I see three things in there that I that I need for my collection, to me it's, you know, whatever, it's worth it. I was just going through like a stack and uh I found some young all stars. Nice. Trying to get trying to get a full run of that, man. And I, I got uh annual number one and then one through 13 and then i got scattered issues from there like 15 17 16 and i don't even know how many issues it went up to
0: wait a minute you talking you talking about young all-stars from like the late 80s mid mid to yeah. late 80s with uh, that character iron monroe
3: neptune perkins bitch yes my name is neptune perkins boy i used to i was me. a i was a superhero in the 40s and now i have a string a chain of restaurants <laughs> <from> perkins through <laughs> pennsylvania and other <laughs> dynamite, Dan the Dynamite. He was a sidekick to who? Oh, that's some all-star squadron knowledge I'm dropping on you. I, right I, 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 I know. It up. I'm not looking
0: it up. I'm really to trying Google. to think. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Google. T-N-T. T-N-T. You talking, is it? Is that that? Um, that, that was his
3: name. T T. Okay. I always. And they. Okay. Oh, they both had rings, and when they smack them together, they'd be able to give you an explosive punch. That's 1940s, right there.
1: Mm-mm-mm.
3: And then there was fury. See, I, I want to read it because when I quit reading it, it was in continuity. Like there was an Earth Two, but then I'm like, what they do with them after Crisis? Yeah, that's a good because point. one of them was supposed to be like I don't know related to Wonder Woman in some way or something. And then there was like they all had like some connection to uh, the All Star Squadron. So I was like trying to figure out like what they did with them. So I can't wait to read it. I want to get every issue and just bang right through them. The issues I remember most were the Millennium crossover issues. Uh, let's see, "Manhunters of the World Unite," and you have nothing to lose but your souls.
0: Millennium as a miniseries, fuck, terrible all the way through, yep. terrible. But the the crossovers, because I talked about this in um, episode fifty, I talked with this with John. I said the crossovers were awesome. I love yeah. the crossovers, you know. He and he had mentioned that. Probably one of the reasons why the miniseries was so bad, not just because of the story. You know, they fought manhunters. You found out like a lot of these B and C listers were manhunters. That's awesome because you know they ain't going to use no big guns. At the end, we get
3: the new Guardians. Really? Yeah, that was bad. Really? Yeah, and, oh, that was bad. It was, it was like, oh. Remember Dr. Chase? Yeah. From the Outsiders? <laughs> Didn't she wind up being a manhunter too? I think so and uh she she was was she a manhunter or did she become one of the new guardians i remember there was a the gay spanish hairdresser dude dude it was a mess he became a, a new guardian
0: like they put they put harbinger in it i'm like okay she's cool and then like they took
3: everybody they didn't know what to do with
0: right like how jordan's friend who everybody used to call him pie face which is so fucked up <laughs> and they made him a new guardian then there was this dude that turned into a tree. I just looked at this. I'm like, you gave me a, sp- a splash page of the New Guardians. I just looked, and I'm like, you know what? I know it's supposed to be something different, and I'm all for this. But as a kid, I looked at that. I was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to buy a New Guardians comic. And they came out with one. I'm like, I'm not buying that. No. It's just It was just, you had all this build up and this is the nothing. result for nothing.
3: Yeah, it was it was not, it was It all
0: I mean, you could take Secret Wars 2 and Millennium and put them together, and that would just be like the ultimate cataclysm of
3: bad comics. But then you take the crossovers for both and put them together, and it was a cataclysm of awesome comics. Yes! There you go! There was some good stuff that came out of it. See, we, we've talked about this before, but yeah. I was just looking at The Outsiders, number uh, number six. From 1980, April 1986, the Outsiders versus their own headquarters. It's da, da, da. all the work of the Duke of Oil.
0: <laughs> Duke of Oil.
3: I wonder if that's a play
0: on Duke of Earl. You think? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm putting money on that, sir.
3: Written by Mike W. Barr. Penciler, Jim Apparo, Inker, Jim Aparo. Man, I miss me some Jim Apparo. In the beginning, I was not a Jim Apparel he, fan. He passed away July 19th of 2005.
0: I had no idea. I had no idea either. I just remember when I was younger, did not like his artwork. Oh, you're crazy. Did not like it when, when I was younger. I, I didn't. And it was around the time I was like 22, 23. I had a better appreciation of it. And to see the extent of work that he did with Outsiders, with just with just you know with Batman, I have a much better appreciation for his artwork now than I did in the past. You, you know what I mean? But no, but back then, oh, I couldn't stand him. Could not stand him.
3: Oh, I see. I don't know. I was into him. So that means he pat. Let's see, two thousand five. What was going on in two thousand five? I'm trying to think if there was any kind of big Batman event or something around that time. Oh, yeah, but- that Aquaman trade, man. That I wanted to. I wanted to get. Did you see? Did do we talk about this last time? I don't remember. No, what Aquaman trade? The Death of the Sun. It, it's it's a lot of Jim Apparel artwork from Adventure Comics is in there, and actually the cover is his too. Nice. It, yeah, but the release it's like a thirty dollar trade Ooh. trade, not a hardcover. <laughs> 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 how I many? It how, does have a lot of stuff in it though. How many pages for thirty dollars? Oh, and and by the way, a uh, Daryl
0: Daryl Taylor just text, texted me. He wants to know. He he says the following. He don't he's t- talking about you. He don't answer. He, he don't answer when I call him, the big jerk. And then his next question is or his next statement is, and where is the latest episode
3: of Nothing's On? Damn it. I have it. Okay. I'll tell him that you and have almost, it. he did, he didn't even call me. He didn't even call me. There's no <laughs> no missed calls on here at all. No, now we're going now you going you going to dirt my other show. I got to air Dirty Laundry on this show from my other show. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, man. Okay, it is edited, all right? He did not send me a text telling me he's home. He just sent me a text just now saying, where is it? <laughs> That's what I got. See, I'm saving that shit, too, so then that way I have proof. <laughs> That's right. how I'm talked to. That, that is And he said, t- well, you guys didn't invite me.
0: Isn't he still at work? I'm going to ask or, him right now, or, don't or, you work? Or, or is he on the train right now harassing people? <laughs>
3: Anyway, let's get back to Aquaman, Death of a Prince, trade paperback. Okay. Written by Steve Skates, Paul Levitz, and others. <laughs> Art by Mike Rell and Jim Aparo, and others. Cover by Jim Aparo. And uh, it's awesome. It's, it's Arthur Curry Jr. There's a little tombstone, and is all crying at him and yelling at him. Mm. And it says, my son is dead, and it's all your fault, Aquaman. Like, wouldn't she call him Arthur? Why would she call him Aquaman? (laughs) Like, that's a pretty tender moment right there. Yeah, that is a pretty tender moment.
0: But see, they they do that because it would make sense to me and you because we've read books so long. But for that average Joe or Jill, like, wow, Aquaman is in trouble.
3: And it says, Novel Length C Spectacular with a special surprise villain. It's uh, 336 pages. And it's got Adventure Comics, 335 to three. uh, excuse me, 435 to 437, 441 to 455, and Aquaman 57 through 63. That's a lot of issues right there. It is a lot of issues. Let's see what Daryl has to say.
0: He, uh, According to uh, the, the text machine, Daryl forgives us.
3: No, I have jury duty, so I got out at 12. How was I supposed to know? I know. Jerk. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Super Friends stop by and like like with the Super into this. No, no, no. Like every episode of the Super Friends when they're about to win and, and like and, and Legion of Doom escapes, Gorilla Grodd will always be like we will see you in the future. <laughs> and they would like take off <laughs> every single time.
3: So I'm sorry. I dude. like when, when they used to let Bizarro and Solomon Grundy make plans. <laughs> they can't even speak full sentences but they come up with this big old elaborate plan. <sighs>
0: I'm sure there was, like, a list, like, when we were in grade school, like, every every week, like, you know, somebody's turn to take their erasers outside and, like, you know, pound them, pound all the chalk out of them, and there was a mm-hmm. weekly list. And first off, why, as a kid, was that an exciting thing to do? Only thing you were doing was just making yourself dirty with chalk dust, inhaling chalk dust, and getting your skin all ashy. <laughs> You, you know, let, let me be real about that. It's because it got you out of, out of work for seven seconds. That, that is true. You know, when or,
3: you're a kid, man, you just want to get, you don't care.
0: Yeah. But see, like so. our teacher was, our teacher was like cruel. Our teacher would only let us like, you know, do the eraser things to take the erasers and pound them out if it was like ass cold or ass hot. Oh, yeah. So you'd be burning up and then like you'd be sweating because like, you know, back back then classrooms didn't have no central air. So you was already sweating inside the classroom. And if you had one of mean-ass teachers that wouldn't open up no windows to let hot air in to circulate the hot air out, um, mm-hmm. you know, you just already sweating and just you know, just bad. And they're like, Sean, go pound the erasers. And then the chalk dust just sticks to your skin because you're all sweaty. And now you look like you got splotches. I'm like, how is this helping me? How How am I learning from this? And I guess the lesson is don't take your ass outside to pound them damn erasers and be so excited about it, huh? That's it. So, See? but anyway, going back to that list, that weekly list, I'm sure the Legion of Doom had that list too, and I'm like, how many times they constantly move Bizarro and Solomon Grundy to the bottom of that list? <laughs> <They're just, laughs> Tori Man is like, yo, I'll give you my King Dons if you let let me go up the list. We switch places. <laughs> I'm going to give you an origin of Wild Dog. Oh, uh, why? Uh, because you need to know these things. Because people need to remember these jukey-ass superheroes. No, right they there. really don't. Oh, yes, they do. You want to he, was a, he was a poor man's punisher, dude. He was armed with a Jattamatic GG95 A B C D E F G gun and a pair of electrified shock gloves. His costume consisted of camouflage pants, a college football jersey emblazoned with a snarling dog, hiding protective body armor, and a hockey mask reminiscent of Jason Verhees, or Voorhees to conceal his identity. Bio Wild Dog was an auto mechanic named Jack Wheeler from the Quad Cities, dedicated to fighting terrorism and urban crime. His actions in the beginning were, ma- were mainly against domestic American terrorists led by the Committee for Social Change. Unlike traditional Silver Age superheroes who maintain strict codes against killing their foes, Wild Dog was quite willing to use deadly force and bust a cap. Uh, the bust a cap part was, was my bit. But, uh, Don't this- worry,
3: you didn't have to tell me that. I knew that. Okay,
0: um, but that was from ComicDB.com.
3: Wild Dog.
0: What's crazy is is not only did he have his own miniseries, showed up in issue two of Invasion. Um, he was on the uh, cover of Infinite Crisis number seven, and uh, <laughs> or no, 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 I'm sorry, he was just no. I think he was actually in the book. Like you see, like an image of him from far away. He was in Booster Gold issue eight from 2007 series. And people forget I
3: think that I got that somewhere.
0: And he and people forget that Wild Dog. When I think when Action Comics was like Action Comics Weekly, Wild Dog had had some stories up in there. So it's not like this dude was a one shot and done. You know, one shot and done character. He was around for like a minute, but he's still jukey. But this goes. But this goes to another thing. This is what I miss from Marvel and DC. Create, you know, creating of new characters. Now, granted, you probably will never get new, cre- new characters created in Marvel ever again because, you know, n- the one thing now, as compared to back then, if you created a character, you know, Marvel would sometimes break off that Skrilla, give you some paper royalties and whatnot. You, but you don't really see a lot of new characters being created now. And if you do, they're so minor, you know, they make sure that they really don't get a lot of play. But it was like that DC too. There were a lot of new characters out of the blue. But if you notice, a lot of those cats are just characters are just gone you don't get that anymore it's this is our stable of superheroes here's the list of all the superheroes and characters we have just use those we don't want anything new because eh, you do have created and then there's that whole issue of creators rights But I just wanted to go back to the days of, besides Marvel and DC, when you had like Eastman and Laird create the Turtles, and you had Michael Golden create fucking Bucky O'Hare, and you just had like, you know, Image just came out of nowhere and just blew up shit. Is it all great? No. But what it did was it sparked creativity and scared the shit out of these other companies. And it also spawned a lot of clones. But there was so much creativity, and people forget how much like Eastman and Laird got paid off the Turtles. Okay. Oh yeah. Man has he just like had an auction where he auctioned off all this turtle stuff, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking just tons of it, cause he's like, look, I don't need it, and it's not like he's selling it because he's broke. Because Eastman's not broke, he owns Heavy Metal. The man is not broke. Nickelodeon came up to uh, came up to Peter Laird and was like, yo, we want to buy the turtles, and they're like, how much you want? And Laird was like, you know what? I got enough money. Just give me this. So I can take care of my people that have been working on Turtles with me for like X amount of years. These people don't have to worry about anything for the rest of their natural lives.
3: One of them, one of them owns um, Heavy Metal now, right? Yeah, Eastman. Eastman owns Heavy Eastman Metal. Eastman owns Heavy
0: Metal? Yeah. And, uh, uh, um,
3: just, just to interrupt you one second. Yeah. Wild Dog had a sidekick who drove a moped and his name was Wild Pup. Now that's a problem. Nope. That not a problem. Th- that, that's you, a problem. You open this can of worms. I know I you know opened I'm this can of worms, but
0: I'm, like I said, I, I didn't say all of it was great, okay? Oh, let, let me make this 100% clear. I'll go back to the Millennium, uh, the Millennium Limited series, the new Guardians. Perfect example. That shit was not good, okay? So
3: I'm actually going to send it to you.
0: You've got a lot of hate in your <laughs> heart. Ahead. you got a lot of hate in your heart to send me that image. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, no I'm, I'm just playing with you, dude. I'm just <laughs> playing with you. I'm playing with you. But no, it's just that I, I want that creative spark back. He, and then that's the one thing I've always loved about independent comics, like whether you create in, like a superhero uh, or a day-in-a-life story or whatever, your know, sci-fi, what have you.
3: Those are my favorite, man. I love day-in-a-life comics. Just being able to create something and it just blow up. Like, the X-Men, when they used to come back from fighting, like, the Brood or something. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next issue, they're playing baseball. Or they're sitting there watching reruns of Magnum P.I. with the New Mutants. <laughs> yeah, I remember that.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, I, I Justice remember.
3: League, when they would just, like, you know, just, like, a Hangout issue. Like, it was a setup for the next adventure, but they'd just be, you know, like... Green Arrow doesn't polish the buttons after he's done washing, you know. <laughs> or, or bury it like those Avengers annuals where they had that annual baseball game, and then something would happen. Oh, against the West Coast, yeah. Avengers, yeah, yeah, man. And then, and, then, and uh, then, death would come.
0: Yeah, either death would come or
3: uh, Quicksilver.
0: Yeah, Quicksilver would be all mad because like his daddy didn't love him. He thought the world needed to be punished, so he like take the baseball and go home.
3: He just went crazy. Mm-hmm. Remember when he the, the first one they did and he lured or he had them all arrested and then he he had uh the zodiac with him. you remember them? yeah, I do remember the zodiac, yes, sir, <laughs> super villains after the zodiac signs, God, that was awful yeah, it was- but it was fun though it there was no Atlantis attacks, but it was still pretty bad Ooh, oh oh there was no terminus factor, oh terminus factor bad. oh no no the 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 evolutionary
0: war. <laughs> Oh, let, let's let's keep let's keep it real about the Marvel annual limited series things or limited series crossovers through them annuals. How many of us got duped
3: by that? If I wasn't buying the the uh, the title and I wasn't I I didn't because a lot of them you could read the one issue and be okay, right? And it would say you could go to Fantastic Four if you want to continue the story. And nine out of ten
0: times, I did not. You I know? I remember being suckered into the Von Strucker gambit. I remember that crap. I sat there and I bought Daredevil annual seven and I bought Captain America annual 10. I can't remember the other one, but I'm sure Spider-Man was involved because during that period of time, it was about two people The three Spidey Wolverine and Punisher during that period of time, you know, because if they weren't in your books, forget it. That's just how it was at Marvel, you know, during that period of time. And there was also, the like, the Vibranium Vendetta. I remember that because that had a Spidey book and a Spidey annual and, like, two other annuals, and, and Black Panther was somehow involved in it. That was, like, the precursor to the events, to, like, to the constant, right. to the constant rotation of event after event after event. Marvel used to kill on that, but I'm not going to front. I did like Terminus' attacks, so.
3: The, dude, the Evolutionary War, the Avengers annual... I love that annual. The return of Black Goliath? Because, no. No, the uh, the Avengers annual was annual number 17, and that's when there was no actual Avengers team. And so they sent out, Jarvis, I think, sent out a high-priority Avengers. So you had a team that never worked together before.
0: Hmm.
3: So you had Grey Hulk, the female Yellow Jacket, Hercules, Jocasta, falcon beast when he was all blue and wearing that big old um brown x factor jumpsuit yeah with the big yellow x on it yes 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 and the captain oh yes. steve rogers the, the ca- captain that was tight yeah that I- written by walt simonson with help by wheezy nope just walt he's on his own on that um, one back- I, I used to love it when when teams would do that man they would just send out the signal mm-hmm. and you get a bunch of heroes that never work together yes awesome terminus factor
0: mm-hmm.
3: annual yes that was avengers annual 19 terminus factor stage five beat me in st louis written by dan thomas and roy thomas herb trimpey
0: herby herby
3: herby <laughs> now these are your superheroes in this ready talk to me big bertha captain america captain marvel the Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel mm-hmm. Dinah, Soar Doorman, Flatman Hawkeye, Hercules Iron Man, Machine Man, Mockingbird Mr. Immortal Henry, Jonathan, Hank Pine <laughs> Quasar Quicksilver, Circe She-Hulk, Star Fox Thor, U.S. Agent Vision and The Wasp And it was the Avengers, the Great Lakes Avengers, and the West Coast Avengers. Classy. How about that? That, sir, is classy. (laughs) It's something. (laughs) But the the one, um, annual number 20, was when they were doing the Subterranean Wars. And that had an awesome team because that was just all reservists. Besides, uh, I believe, Captain America and Cersei at the time. So you got Black Widow. You got Hercules, Quasar, Rage, the Sandman, Mm. She-Hulk, and the Vision. Awesome.
0: I was just thinking, you know what ABC needs to do? And this is, I think, what a lot of networks need to do. You just need to mix it up. They like to like go back and re re-im- reimagine and and reboot stuff, you know why do not you just like get a big old bag and just like mix things up and just combine the old with the new, like say for instance, instead of no ordinary family, no ordinary family matters
3: no, nope, no, nope, stop it, I won't do it
0: then then you can take just the ten of us in life on Mars, just the ten of us on Mars
3: <laughs> God dude, my wife and I were actually talking about that the other day. <laughs> Just the ten of us. Because um now I got now I'm looking it up on IMDb. Because I was watching uh I've been going documentary crazies and um I was watching one on horror movies in America. Uh-huh. And they got to uh Krueger and they were talking about, you know, what an icon he became and like little kids are walking around with this lunchbox of Freddy Krueger and, and, and nine out of ten times he's gutting topless women are smashing <laughs> while calling them bitches and you know what was the name of that show now just the ten of us and and my wife said oh yeah she was on that show and it was off of the seavers and it was <laughs> cuz the chick Nancy that's where she was from i had no idea mm. and the fact that show lasted as long as it did just no, i'm looking it up right now it's frightening sir it's 47 episodes it went from 88 to 90 yeah then they took the girls and turned them into a singing group on the show?
0: I remember that bullshit.
3: Oh, they beat Brady bunched them. Yes. That's rough. That's like when they made Urkel go on every single sitcom ABC had singing a stupid ass song.
0: Oh, do the Urkel Dance? Or the or the other one. I can't remember. I just remember do the Urkel dance and then Lorenz Tate gave him like uh gave him some spike punch and he almost fell off the roof of a party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that, man. I'm sorry, I just do. But I do have a stack of books right here that um, I've read and I've been dying to talk to you about. Go. Okay. All right. I got this book at, um, let's see here, Heroes Realm um, from free, on free comic book day because they were selling all their regular comics and back issues for a buck a piece, But new books were still regular price. That's crazy. It was great.
3: Absolutely. I would have sent you a list.
0: <laughs> Dude, I stepped in there and I was just like. What? Because I was just really going in there just to promote Fracture, and they were like, "Yeah, we got all this." I was like, "I don't have the money to do this, but I can spend 20 bucks." Okay, let's go. So I went, I went in, and I bought this book. I bought two of them, but I only read one of these so far. Uh, DC Universe Legacies. After reading it, I guess it's like a buffer for new readers that don't know anything about the history of DC characters, and it's just their way of telling a story within a story. Mm-hmm. And and this is issue eight, and the reason why I bought issue eight is because it it basically has the 90s on the front of it. And I, I, as soon as I saw the cover, I loved it. Covers by Jergens, uh, Dan Jergens, and Jerry Ordway. And it's DC Legacies, the new wave strikes. And on and in the back, you've got Parallax. He's like shaking his fist like a grumpy old man. <laughs> Get off my lawn! <laughs> Get off my Oa. And, um, <laughs> and then you have Image, of, I think, like Star City or or something like that. Or, uh, or what, what was the city that got, that got destroyed um, from uh, Hal's uh, hometown or whatever that got destroyed before he became Parallax? I always forget.
3: The name of the city? Yeah. Coast City. Thank you, Coast City. So I think it might and, be... And then he rebuilt, he went kooky crazy and rebuilt it.
0: Yes. So I think it was Coast City. So it was Coast City. And then you have Asbats swinging like Spider-Man with his, uh, with his bat armor. And then you got Steel. You got uh, Cyborg Superman, Superboy, and the Eradicator with the Kumo cool D-Shades. And it says, like I said, like I said before, it says the new wave strikes. Wow,
3: wow, what?
0: I went downtown 149th Street. Sorry.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Kryptonian clone.
0: <laughs> See, you need to stop. We need to stop. Okay. So this is what they do with DC Legacies. They tell a story within a story. In this, um, in this issue, they talk about the death of Superman. The reign of reign of Superman, the reign, or the reign of the Supermen, uh, the a little bit of the Azbats, the end of the Azbat saga, and the rebirth of Superman and the beginning or birth of Parallax, and it's told through the eyes of a cop who was around when Superman died, and was there at the funeral and stuff like that. But there are these things going on in the cop's life as well that that are supposed to reflect what's going on in the DC universe. Like, say, for instance, this cop has a daughter um, who's about to graduate from college. His, you know, his wife was uh, suffering from cancer. And so they try to like, blend all this in and at the same time tell you the story of like, these superheroes and all the plights uh, that they went through. Now, if I had never read any of these 90 books, 90s books, yeah, this would be a pretty good primer. Len Wein, uh, did, he wrote this. And there was art by uh, Scott Collins, Dan Jergens, and Jerry Ordway. And the way it worked out is the first two pages are Scott Collins' artwork, and then after that, pages three through twenty-two are Dan Jergens' layouts with Jerry Jerry Ordway doing the finishes. So that you know that was cool. When Jergens wants to, Jergens can kind of like mimic Perez sometimes. When you take that and then put Ordway over top of it. It's really nice because there are some pages I get that Perez feel and there's other pages where, you know, I I get that I get an Ordway feel and it's just all because of how they collaborate. But it's, it's really cool. Now, the one thing I'm curious about, and I really want to go back and read some of these 90s books now because of it, I'm thinking that there's some revisionist history in these books. Because there's some things, and either either it's revision, it may be possibly revisionist history, or they're just trying to quickly tell you this story real quick. Of okay, this is how Asbats no longer no, was no longer Batman because Batman came back and they got in a fight. The end. Um, right. <laughs> you, you, you know. You know what I mean. So I'm trying to like figure out in my brain which how much of this is actual. This is the story. This is how it happened. And I'm just giving you the bare facts. One, two, three, four, five. Or, you know what. We really didn't like how that came out back then, so maybe if we tweak this here and add this here and and stuff like that, um, you know, maybe we could tell a little bit better. So I did like this though, and I have another issue. I think I have issue ten. This was issue eight, uh, came out in February of this year. But and honestly, it's it's a pretty fun book. After that story was over, there was a short story called Snapshot or uh, Revelation, in which like a a bunch of like a bunch of humans get kidnapped and they when they wake up they're on apocalypse and somehow Orion saves them and then they get taken back to earth and then dark side is sitting in this person's apartment and and it, it's it's bizarre it's just like this really short way of like telling not the history of the new guys or just it's just like their way of introducing the new gods in this book and it was really it was weird but I liked it the uh, story mm-hmm. was by uh, once again Lynn Wing. and it was like it was like one of those seventies
3: seventies stories. Oh, you can't go wrong.
0: The art was by Frank Quitely, colorist was Pete Doherty, and letterer Rob uh, Lee. Great, I mean, layouts are great, artwork is beautiful, really cool story. But when you cut to like the image of when like all the, these humans are like back on Earth and they're about to go to this guy's apartment and. Um, to like discuss everything Orion opens up the door and they cut to this panel and dark side is sitting in this dude's Barka lounger and he's just <laughs> it's it like looking at it. It's hilarious, but dark side looks hard sitting on a Barka lounger. How's this possible?
3: He's all like, I want a Coke.
0: <laughs> Aren't you going to offer me anything to drink? Exactly. He's like, can I have a seven, a seven and seven? <laughs> It's it's really really cool and it explains how the new gods are now here on earth and how like the forever people Like roam the earth in search of adventure in their super cycle. I like the forever people They talk about mr Miracle big Barda, and uh, Oberon for a moment and they also talk about how the mother box protects um, People from seeing Orion's true face. So it was really cool And it was a short story very very short story, so I enjoyed it I thought this comic was actually um, uh, DC legacies. This issue I read, I really thought that this was a good comic, and it's a good primer for those that didn't read comics during during the '90s or for whatever
3: era of uh, of DC comics that you might not know about. I thought it was cool. Let me tell you something about that as bad stuff. Okay. Now I didn't read any of that, so I went and got the the Fall the Bat trades, oh. and I got through two of them, and I was like, I need a break. <laughs> What was wrong, man? That whole suit. When he got all dressed up in that armor and he had that crazy batarang shooting thing, like one of the Shogun Warriors toys I had when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, all right, I'm done. How do you load that? There's no place to put shit. I didn't like it. I don't know. I just didn't. (laughs) Look, there's no way in hell Batman in that little ass utility belt and his regular costume has all that crap in there. I understand that. But you turn around and tell me, well, he got a utility belt. And I say, okay. You know what I mean? Like I could go with okay, so today he went out, he knew he was gonna need this, so he put it in the pouches, right? Okay, I'll go with that, right? But this as bad shit is like, what do you load it in the back of the action figure? Like I don't know where it goes, so I was just confused. But you said it it read like a um a seventies book. Not the, the the legacies part of the ninety character nineties characters, but the
0: part where they um get to the new god story at the back right right, right. yeah that read like a 70s story
3: yes now what do you think about dc doing those uh, retro books i think it's a great idea um
0: from from a comics history side is really cool and also from a art history side i think it's a great thing too and I'm excited. See, because I know, like I said, once again, I don't really get to get into the books as much as I would like to. But the great thing about it is one great thing about all those books they're coming out with there's going to be a Green Lantern book with Ron Mars and Daryl Banks together again. Uh-huh. You do not understand how happy that makes me. Like my Green Lantern, I have two Green Lanterns John Stewart, Kyle Rayner. I, you know, and, and people are probably gonna get offended when I say this. I honestly don't give a damn about Hal Jordan. Never have. Doesn't mean I hate the guy. Doesn't mean I love him. I just I grew up on John Stewart. And then when I came back to comics, Kyle Rayner in the Crab Mask. I came I came in literally the issue where Kyle Rayner became Green Lantern. That's when I that's when I came back. So right. So when I saw Hal Jordan as Parallax, I'm like, oh, he's a bad guy now. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right, awesome. I. I'm like, they did something with them. Because for me, Hal was always boring.
3: Uh, The ones I ordered, I ordered the Retro Batman. You knew that was coming. Written by Len Wein. They won't tell you about the art either. It's always to be announced. You know what I mean? The Green Lantern one from the 70s is Denny O'Neill. And they they released art and cover by Mike Grell. Mm -hmm. And I got Justice League. Seventies written by Carrie Bates. You need to get that eighties one with Jerry Conway. What I'm real hyped
0: about is the with like the Wonder Woman stuff. Seventies is seventies De- is Denny O'Neill, eighties is Roy Thomas, and the nineties is William Mesner Loebs. <laughs> That gets me hype. And I think with Justice League, 70s is Cary Bates, 80s is Jerry Conway, and 90s is Giffen Damateus. Or DeMatis. I'm sorry, Dematus.
3: Is that how you say that? Because I always say Demateus. I
0: always say Damateus too. And then I heard this one podcast where they asked about his name, and he said DeMatis. <laughs> I know there's also, like, The Flash. The Flash is uh, Cary Bates in the 70s, William Mesner Loeb in the, Loeb's in the 80s, and Brian Augustin in the 90s. Now, in the 90s, I guess it all depends on what, on what part of the 90s. I didn't know Brian Augustine had a lot to do with The Flash in the 90s.
3: Right, right. And then the, the Superman one is written by Martin Pasco. Yes. And uh, it just says the cover's by Ed- Eduardo Barreto. You got to get it for the cover alone because... Um, Eduardo Barreto
0: is one of the classic artists, I, to this day, one of the most underrated artists in comics. Now, if he did a story in that book, I'd buy it.
3: I, yeah, it's just... Oh, no, it is just say art and cover, yeah. He oh, did do it. Do And it's a mister Mixel o story. Oh, see, that makes it even better. I need to get that. See, this, this is what happens when, when
0: you're broke and you can't buy books, so you don't look at order forms, so you don't know when stuff comes out, so then you just hope to get it one day, and then you forget about it, and then you see it 10 years later, and you go... <gasps>
3: And then you buy it. So. And you know you know what else they did. You know how they've been doing those DC comic presents mm-hmm. things? And they're like four issues, like mini trades. Yes. For eight bucks or whatever. Yes. They're doing the uh D C Comics presents Shazam number one and it's the Power of Shazam by Jerry Ordway, number thirty eight to forty one. Mr. Minds out for vengeance. So it's the Monster Society of Evil.
0: No, I'm stoked for these retro books. Like I said, I don't need comics to go back to the way they used to be, but like just sometimes, like going back, say, "Hey, this is this is how we did it back then." Right. Stuff like that, I like. You know what I mean? I, you know, not taking stuff from like the 70s or 80s and then like constantly trying to bring that all back. No, no. You know, comic books, like with anything, should always be about progress. (laughs)
3: <laughs> you know you read Justice League Task Force. You know you did. You I know did, you did too. That first issue, man. That check came with its own Justice League identification card. Wasn't that awesome? You could put it in your wallet and sign your name. <laughs> Be walking walking in places part of the league. Part That's of the league. Right. Yes. Oh. Say, uh, sir, we have to card you to get into this uh this establishment. Man, I am part of the Justice League Task Force. <laughs> I could have teleported in here with my teleportation tube. (laughs) And then they beat you up. I've been getting bombarded with trades, though, that are coming out. Like the classic G.I. Joe trades for my pre-orders. Man, I just got 11, and now 12 is this month. I have one through six, and
0: I'm halfway through one. And it's sad because I got one a long time ago. Right. And, like, the rest of them are just laughing at me. I hear Destro from the cartoon laughing at me right now. Yeah. I'm I'm not happy about this. This I'm,
3: <laughs> Destro <laughs> I was watching I was watching an episode of that dude and it was Destro and Baroness were on a boat. Uh-huh. And Cobra Commander goes to talk to Destro and he brings it up on the video screen. And he brought it up and Cobra and, and uh Destro and Baroness are kissing and Cobra Commander's all Destro, stop it, that's disgusting. Oh. <laughs> And he's all, he's all, (laughs) but Cobra Commander, she had something in her eye. (laughs) And he's all, I bet she did, Destro. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. You know know what? That's why I can't buy that shit
0: on DVD, dude. No, you got to buy the Complete Joe set on DVD because those episodes are great because they are just all utterly insane. I love it. I love you know, and the thing is, is that like as much as like I enjoy watching old school Transformers stuff, if you gave me a choice between buying the old school Transformers box set or the GI Joe box set, I buy the Joe box set because to me, a lot of that Joe stuff still plays, and I and I laugh. You can't take it seriously. It, no, no, you can't take it seriously for the simple fact that they did some of the craziest stuff in those cartoons, especially in. In the Joe series, where like in the Revenge of Cobra miniseries, where there's that scene where because you get introduced to Flint, Lady, and Lady J in the Revenge of Cobra series, and there's a scene where they have to go to oh I can't remember like some type of Aztec um, destination, and they end up as uh, Flint, Gung Ho, and Lady J, and they get inside the temple, and then like this big you know monster comes out of nowhere, and you know it's made out of uh, stone, and he's like you know breathing fire. First off, that's crazy. Then, Uh out of nowhere, Cobra shows up, and Cobra has like this Cobra robot, and it's got like it's like got this big old head. Its it's body is essentially like the head of a cobra with like robot arms and rockets. (laughs) And then, yo, it's great. And I miss that. I miss that crazy stuff. We take so much of this stuff so seriously right now. Even with um, GI Joe, uh, is it called Renegades, which actually is getting canceled once the episodes are done it's not coming back because that wasn't good here's my issue with it i didn't mind it but if you really look at it it's the a team for kids they're in a van like those four or five joes are wanted for a crime they didn't commit they're on the run still trying to help people and and flint is trying to catch them like colonel decker and essentially lady j is uh amy Trying to get the scoop and trying to help out the Joes. That's all it is. It's the A team. That is all. Uh, that's all. That's all it is. But because of the new movie that's coming out next year, they're coming out with a new series. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm putting us back on the track because I, I got another book that I read that I want. Okay. To tell you. Okay. This is the Free Comic Book Day. Atomic Robo, by uh, Red Five Comics, and and I've never been disappointed with a Atomic Robo free comic book day book. What happens is is that Atomic Robo, it starts off because I love the van, the uh, the action van that that um the Atomic Robo the team has. I guess Tesla Dine. It looks like the A Team van. So first off, that you know that that gets a, a check mark, a plus, a plus from me. <laughs> And so, you know, Robo is in there with his crew, and they're trying to get, like, a hold of the situation that they're about to face, and they're being all serious. You think it's like a hostage crisis, but they're actually pulling up to the National Science Fair regional fourth-grade finals. And... It's, <laughs> <laughs> and Atomic Robo is coming there to, to judge the projects and, you know, and to, uh, to name someone the winner of the uh, science fair. And there's this girl who is dying to become an action scientist for Tesladyne. She has uh made this uh telluric interchanger that's going to change the world, and she's right ne- and her project is like right next to like this uh one kid um and this one black kid like this black kid tracks me up because like he never says like complete sentences every time she says something like big and bold he's like uh-uh uh-uh, bet not uh-uh."
2: that's all he says
0: that's all he says and like I'm just dying because like his arms is folded and he's salty because she keeps saying that she's gonna win the contest she's gonna get she's gonna get out of her stupid grade school she's gonna work with Robo and it's gonna be awesome and so Robo shows up and starts like and starts grading uh, starts grading science projects and then out of nowhere here comes the malevolent Dr. Dinosaur and if you've ever read any Atomic Robo, Dr. Dinosaur is one of the <laughs> craziest and just stupid villains in the history of comic books. So when a robo sees that, um, that uh, Dr. Dinosaur is here, Dr. Dinosaur says, I knew you would be here, Atomic Hobo. And then, and then Robo's like, no, I'm sorry. And then Dr. Dinosaur says, witness how I, how I have deconstructed your name into an insult. And then Atomic Robo's like, "Yeah, wow, never heard that one before." And then, and then uh, Doctor Dinosaur says, "Shut up! I hacked your mainframe and downloaded your itinerary. Yes, all of your computerized scheduling secrets are now mine." To which Robo says, "You joined our newsletter." <laughs> Doctor Dinosaur's like, "You can't prove that." Yo,
3: shit is hilarious. That sounds funny.
0: And then, and then, like he's then Doctor Dinosaur's got like two Uzis. And Then they're like, how did a dinosaur get guns? And then it says one week ago, and it goes to uh, the USA gun show and 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 then it goes to like a big billboard that says we sell guns USA gun show no background checks buy one Get one free and then you see dr. Dinosaur with like a hat on a fedora he's at the Alonzo's gun hut uh, booth and Alonzo's like afraid I'm gonna need to see some ID dr. Dinosaur like looks for a second and pulls out, a, pulls out a big book of dinosaurs and opens up to the page that says like, <laughs> Dromaeosaurus, and then like Alonzo looks at him's like, all right, let's ring you up. <laughs> then it ends with Atomic Robo saving the day. A uh, devil dinosaur does end up stealing the uh, TeslaDyne van, but they get it back eventually. It's a really fun story. It's it's hilarious. I, I probably didn't do it justice, but the team that worked on that, uh, Brian Clevenger. Um, did uh, wrote the script Scott Wegener did the art Rhonda Pat- Pattison on colors and Jeff Powell on letters great, great story the Devil, the Dr. Dinosaur stories are always great now this book also came with two additional uh, short stories or introductions uh, to some comics they're coming out with later one's called Foster Brassard. takes place in the mid-1800s and to me it came off as let's take the USA show White Collar and put it in the 1800s <laughs> And it was okay. It, it was okay. I think the biggest issue I had with it was the lettering, because in some on some pages, the characters had so much to say that it looked, and with the font they used for the lettering, it was just like all scrunched together. So unless you have to really focus to read it, but it was it, it wasn't bad. And then the last story in this free Comic Book Day issue of of um of Atomic Robo was Moon
3: Girl. And Moon Girl, if memory serves me right, is a public domain character. If I remember right, she's kind of like a, a Wonder Woman analog. Uh possibly, possibly, yes. And and instead of instead of being an Amazon, it's about it's basically like if they took Paradise Island and put it on the moon. Oh, okay, gotcha.
0: I found the you know the artwork was really nice. It was a style that, that like I haven't you know, I don't really get to see a lot of, but when I see it, I you know, I appreciate it. I did like it. You know, if I saw it at the comic book store, I don't know if I would race over and, and purchase it. But it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It was a nice intro. And actually, Moon Girl is in shops right now. But this uh, free comic book day Atomic Robo for the Atomic Robo story alone, great. If you know if you've got it, please read it. And if you don't, and, and you know somebody that has it, try to borrow it from. Borrow it from them, or if you got a shop
3: that still has it, go get it because it's funny. Atomic Robo is a good series anyway. It's, it's a good, it's, they're great books. So I've never, I've never, uh, read it. I always wanted to, and every time like I go to a show, I because I think there's like two trades out, right? Or something yeah, there's like there's that. Like three. And I've always, I've always been interested. Everybody keeps telling me how good it is, and uh, I don't know. When I go to cons or whatever, I never see the trades, those trades like in the, And the, uh, you know, no one's ever selling them. And and, uh, the only time I've ever seen the guys at the show were at, was at like Pittsburgh. Yeah. But I didn't hear too much about it then, back then. So I didn't, you know, think about it. There are four volumes of Atomic Robo um, in trade right now. So get them. They're great. Get (laughs) them.
0: And I'm going to take you to Boom Kids, well, now I think it's owned by Marvel again, Uh, Muppet Show. This was the first uh, trade paperback that Boom Kids did. It was the Muppet Show comic book, Meet the Muppets. And there was a story that focused on Kermit. There was a story that focused on Fozzie, a story that focused on Gonzo, and a story that focused on Piggy. Reading this book is like watching an episode of The Muppet Show. Where there's always a story going on, but they're still performing acts as the story, you know, backstage is happening. And the Kermit story was great for the fact that he gets it, like Kermit gets a message and like, you know, he's really bummed out about it. And he's trying to, you know, but the show must go on and he's not in the greatest mood. And and, like his little, uh, is it his cousin? Always forgets his cousin, Robin always get that record. nephew i thought okay thank you his nephew robin is really trying to cheer, cheer kermit up and so they try all these things to try to make him happy and kermit just does not want to be bothered and he keeps telling everybody that he's fine and then then they go through like a pigs pigs in space sketch and then what it really what it really comes down to is that robin finally convinces you know kermit that he needs to go out and perform uh, the song the pond where i was born <laughs> to you know in order to cheer him up because Robin says something like well I think you need to get out on that stage I think you need to pick up that banjo and sing that song with all your heart because if you never sing the end uh, if you never sing the end of it you'll never remember what it's really about and you'll keep keep on feeling sorry for yourself but what happened was was that I guess there was something major had happened in the swamp where he was from and um, it really bummed him out so at near the end of the issue you know he sits down on the log and he sings a song about the swamp and, um, and the last part of the song says, it will always be a part of me wherever I should roam. And like just the song itself, like they just put the lyrics down. You see like little music notes and and everything. And it, it's, it's really beautiful, man. It is, it's really touching too. And then once he finally, um, got that out of his system, he was absolutely fine. And what it was, like I said before, he finally tells Robin, he says, he got a letter from his cousin back in the swamp and And says he was telling me that the tree where I was born has been pulled down to make way for a new butterfly overpass. And and it hit me that I can never go back. And so like Robin's like, sure, you can. The swamp is still there. All the people you know know are still there. And Kermit's like, no. He's like, oh, I know. I know. That's that's not quite what I mean. It's more about a state of mind somewhere at the back of my back of my head. I kind of thought that everything would still be the same if I ever went home. Now I know now I know it won't and that's a shame. I felt like I'd lost something important. These are great stories. That's pretty deep for a Muppets comic. Yeah, man. It, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's awesome. It really is. And then Robin tells him about the importance of family and that how the Muppets show is also his family and they'll always be there for him. And then the, then the Fozzie story is about, you know, Fozzie trying to be able to get his like his joke skills back. And the Gonzo story is about, uh, they have like some type of audit. The show has an audit. And they need to, and like the auditor needs to find out what Gonzo actually is because no one knows what Gonzo actually is and so like they try to come up with all these things to find out what Gonzo is and like Gonzo ends up performing one of his crazy stunts like he always does and ends up getting hurt and then at the end Scooter comes in because Gonzo is in the hospital all bandaged up got a cast on and Scooter says Gonzo I need to ask you something it's driving me nuts I just have to know tell me Please, what the heck are you? And Gonzo's looking at him, laying laying in his hospital bed with a smile on his face, bandages all over him. He's like, Scooter, I thought you knew. I'm an artist. (laughs) I was like, man, I said, this is great. And then the last story has to do with uh, Miss Piggy and this uh, supposed uh, uh, fortune teller who ends up ripping her off along with other people. Piggy does the karate, beats people up and stuff. This was great. I read this while I was on vacation a few months back, and it really made me smile made me smile and that was also during a period of time on vacation when I was on vacation, a lot of uh, sad stuff happened and I really needed something for like for my, you know just to lift my spirits and this book really did it I, and I, I have to give Roger Langridge all the respect in the world for making this such a great book so
3: yeah. that was worth it. Did you happen to see what was uh, resolicited? No sir. It's supposed to be coming out September seventh. What, sir? One hundred and forty-four pages of original graphic novel.
0: You're not talking about uh, new Teen New Teen Titans games, are you? Games, 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 games.
3: (laughs) Why you gonna take it?
0: Why you gonna take it to a new kid's song? Why you gonna take it there?
3: Somebody said something. Gonna treat you wrong. (laughs) See.
0: I was trying to forget that song. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. No, you weren't. Games,
3: games, games, games. That's the one new kid song I can't stand. Donnie Wahlberg done lit his hotel room on fire. (laughs) Yes, and this is disco collar Nightwing, Cyborg, Beast Boy when he was called Changeling, Starfire with the titties hanging out, white, white costumed raven. Wow. Murd, sideburn, Jericho. Does it also have Danny Chase? Donna Troy in her ugly-ass Troya costume when she was now a titan. Like a titan titan from Greek mythology. Remember oh, that shit? Yes, yes, I do. And then, of course, Danny Chase. I hope they're going to kill him again. <laughs> they can't kill him. Kill him twice. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember the first time it was solicited. It was solicited for, uh, I think it was four months of advance, too. And then George had to go. I think he went through an eye surgery or something. He wasn't able to to uh, finish it. Time for the first solicit. So I guess he's been working his ass off on it now. Because I heard interviews with him, and he said he really, really wants to get it out before the 30th anniversary of the new Teen Titans is over. Because then he said there's no point in it. Right. After that, really. He said he knows it would be like the fans and stuff, but it's extra special to him to get it done during the... 30th anniversary or that was like the worst time for the titans right there like mark wolfman could you do something better than that i mean it could be the best story in the world but i mean the type this team i couldn't stand oh stupid danny chase that kid <laughs> ruined everything mm-hmm. in every episode every issue night we make him cry <laughs> you're not ready for this danny you're too young I'm older than you were when you started, and then he'd fly away with his little telekinesis, and he looked—he looked like Harry Potter before Harry Potter. <laughs> Bullshit. I've never heard so much hatred for a comic book character, sir. That shit is, and you know me—I like the B and C and D list characters, man. But Danny Chase could eat a dick. <laughs> that was the one. I am a Marv Wolfman fan, hmm. and that is the worst character he's ever created, ever in the history of ever. I'm for real. that. that hatred is just, wow. My classic G.I. Joe volumes, I can't wait to start because they're, the one I got now is issue 101 to 110, I think. And that this is where it starts getting crazy. This is where it just starts getting off the wall. Oh, really? There's 18,000 characters. It, it just. Are, it, are we about to hit? Nothing, are we about, nothing makes sense. Are we about to hit like the bright color era? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's on like Donkey Kong now, man. Yes. It's just like. Is like Bushido going to show up? It's like when Hasbro just called up Larry Hammond said, I don't care what you do, just make it neon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's getting crazy now. Oh, wait till you get some Star Brigade issues. No, 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 Star Brigade was touched on in the last volume. See, I got to I'm, get. What I'm going to do is, this is what I decided I'm going to do. And I stopped buying the the new Larry Hama one that he does, that's a continuation off of A Real American Hero that he's doing for IDW now. Yes, sir. Because what I want to do is, I want to wait until they collect the whole series, and then I'm going to start buying those trades. Okay. And go right into it. And I also got, like, two trades of special forces I have, uh, or no, special missions I haven't touched yet.
0: Oh, is that the Marvel reprints Especially, special?
3: Yeah, missions? yeah. Yeah, IDW's doing those, too. Loving it.
0: Say- Star Brigade.
3: Star- Boy, I'm Star Brigade
0: action figures. Mm. Mm. That's all I can say. I have no other words. Read another trade. Not games, not games. No, no, not games. <laughs> um, I read this trade. I think this was like the last uh, Devil's Do Voltron trade called A Legend Forged. What happened, and you know what? I'm, what I'm going to do is I will uh, just read the um, excerpt or the blurb from the back of the trade. Um, okay. Basically, what happens is, as we all know, the legend of Voltron, defender of the universe, a mighty robot loved by good, feared by evil, his origins lost to the shades of time, the truth of his creation, a mystery, never revealed
3: until now. Dun, dun, dun.
0: When a time machine is destroyed and a hijacking gone horribly awry, Of course. The members of the Voltron Force find themselves lost in ancient history, coming face to face with the legends and threats of yesteryear. The Force must survive barbaric assaults and magical terror in a perilous mission to protect the birth of the robot the universe desperately needs. Should they fail, the threads of time will unravel and the legend will never be forged. Now, this was originally presented in periodical form as Voltron, A Legend Forged, issues one through five. All right. I try to be positive with everything I talk about. You don't have to. I did not like this at all. Okay. There's a couple reasons why I didn't like it. The, the, the positive, the lettering, great. Lettering was by Crank. And crank! Yeah, <laughs> with exclamation point. Actually, in the credits, mm-hmm. this is Crank with exclamation point. I thought the lettering was great. I just thought the story was weak. Because even though the Voltron team got sent back to the past and you get to see the creation of the original Voltron... There really isn't a lot of action. And if there is action, it's not the Voltron fighting robots and Robeast action.
3: Robeast.
0: There's a lot of talking.
3: yep. Like, yep th-
0: Don't get me wrong. I like my dialogue in comics, but I'm like, this is a little bit too much talking. I'm like, can't we get to the action? I'm like, this is Voltron. This ain't Babylon 5. <laughs> and... I mean, and the story and the concept is okay. And, like, I guess, like, another reason why it's kind of salty is because with the way they did the uh, artwork, it's pencils, but there's no inks. So, it's pencils, and then they throw the colors over the inks. And it's one thing if your pencils are so tight, they don't need inks. But in a lot of spots, these pencils are not that tight. And, and so, when you put the colors over them, it doesn't really look that great. Now, right. the covers now the covers for a lot of these books the, I mean the covers for these issues For because like, each chapter they have a cover the covers are awesome love the covers but I just didn't care for I didn't really care for the interiors um, as far as the artwork goes and the ending you know and, I, and I'm, I'm going to spoil this for anybody who hasn't read it because it's been on uh, for a long time um, it's been on for a very long time why would you go s- all four spy- spoiler alert stop it I'm sorry it's okay um, the Voltron team ends up ends up you know escaping the past and then they end up in the 21st century and and then then at the end it says never the end like no it is the end because Devils do ain't making Voltron anymore
3: I got you so I just
0: I it could I guess like you know as far as the book goes itself I'm, I'll, I'll judge it by two standards um, what they attempted to do did they were they able to do it and were they able to tell a complete story yes now, for me personally, I me personally did it do what I, what I thought it was going to do? Not really. Um, were there's you know, but were they able to tell a story from beginning to end? Yeah, they left it on a cliffhanger. I just wasn't satisfied. The only cool part of the whole book was that you get to see the original original Voltron. That's it. That's it. Everything else I didn't care for. I just didn't. And I was I,
3: never. I was never a fan of Voltron.
0: I'm one of the biggest Voltron fans in the world. All of them. And when I when I finished reading this, I was very sad.
3: Very so, downtrodden.
0: Yeah, I was quite downtrodden. I was hurt. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was hurt. Because, see, you know, I read, I read a lot of the earlier Devils do Voltron
3: stuff, and I enjoyed that. But this, no love. When I was a kid, man, Battle of the Planets and Voltron... I don't know, man. I couldn't get into it because the the voices didn't match the way their mouths were moving, and it fucked with me as a kid. I couldn't get into it. <laughs> Told you. I was like, "Why is that happening? What's wrong with all these kids?" <laughs> Told you, to stop smoking that weed before you start watching them cartoons, man. Man, I was like ten. Yo, I'm just <laughs> I didn't start smoking weed till I was like at least eleven. <laughs> oh lord, have I'm just kidding. You crazy. we talk about a video game i've been playing yes sir i went and bought the new mortal Kombat. oh word and it brought it back to the old style you know like they were doing it kind of like um where you could sidestep and all that shit it's like almost like a i guess you would call it like a 3d sense of playing but not like 3d come at you but you know what i mean like or maybe i'm explaining it wrong but anyway um they brought this back to the old style and the story, and they're putting in all these characters from all the Mortal Kombat's, dude. Yeah. If you are a Mortal Kombat fan, you have to get this. Yeah, this is. I haven't. I mean, shit. <laughs> I, I barely put that thing down. Hmm. As soon as I get off the phone with you, man. As soon as we we're done with this, I'm jumping in the shower. <laughs> uh huh. My wife left me alone for the day, so I'm gonna jump in the shower, and I'm gonna go to Taco Bell. <laughs> get some cheesy tacos and and um come back with a with a mountain dew and come back and I am just gonna uh eat my lunch and I am going to play Mortal Kombat you, instead of going to Taco Bell why don't you just swing
0: by my crib I make great tacos and they're actually better for you than Taco Bell because you're in Kentucky
3: and Taco Bell is down the street well you know not you say that I, mean, that I mean it's a matter of convenience sir <laughs> I'm on chapter eight of the story and each each chapter is a new character and you get to move, learn the move sets and this is what I love about it right they don't give you a booklet that says oh this is so and so's fatality they're like you know what dude you've been playing this game for years you should know this shit all <laughs> oh, right <laughs> and then if you don't then you have to go into the crypt and you have to buy you know like you spend money and you blow up graves and then the graves give you a prize yeah and then they'll give you the um they'll give you fatalities but it's random like you got to look for that shit Oh, we awesome. Very nice. awesome. Buy it, man. I don't get time to play no games. Everybody. I'm not talking just to you. We got we got thousands of listeners. Yeah. Buy it. I'll tell you, man, that brought me back to back in the day. My, my parents had an apartment. I mean, a house and a, upstairs in the house was a mother-in-law apartment. And when I got out of high school and got a job and stuff, I used to rent that out from them. So I, it was kind of like living at home, but still having your own apartment at the same time. <laughs> yes. So it was kind of cool. And every Sunday, all the dudes from the neighborhood used to come over. And we dust off the Sega, Sega Genesis. And we would pop in Mortal Kombat 3. And we would just have a massive tournament. <laughs> like, all day. Just, like, cases of beer and pizzas being delivered. And just going back and forth. Just tournament style. Mortal Kombat it was awesome. Right. And playing that game brought me right back to like 1993. That that says a lot. I was like, back in the day, <laughs> games, 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 games. No,
0: no, don't, don't <laughs> stop it. Stop. It's about as bad as Daryl. I swear. Someone, someone
3: treat you wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's gonna be stuck in my head all day now.
3: Did I edit out that new kid shit? No, I'm keeping in there. Okay. Don't keep it in there. Got to. Everybody get together and do the New Kids dance. (laughs) But speaking of New Kids. i no way you have a segue. Yes, I do. Fuck you, then. (laughs) You're too good at this job (laughs) if you have a a segue from New Kids. Yes, I do. I watched the season finale of Blue Bloods. Uh, oh, nice. Yes. See, I got that Donnie Wahlberg very, up in there. Very good. Yo, I'm tell you something. Have you seen it? Do you watch that show? I have all 21 episodes on my DVR. You need to watch that show because- I heard it's really good. That's why I didn't erase them. I want As soon as I get some time, I'm going to sit back and just, okay. just dig in. I won't spoil anything for you. The
0: only thing I'll say is this. When you start watching the show- when the show first starts, you really don't... You can kind of tell that either the network or the producers aren't sure which direction to take the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like the I say about the first three episodes, you're not sure which direction they're going to take it. And then once they actually get like a grip on things and just go with it... I mean, even the first three episodes are great. I loved it. But once they get a grip on what direction they want to take the show, it's, it's, it's just a really good watch. I want to tell you something. This whole series, especially in the season finale... Tom Selleck is a boss. That's all I'm going to say. Tom Selleck is hardcore, man.
3: Well, I saw I saw um, the previews for it, and I guess it, one of his kids gets killed by somebody, and they show Magnum all pissed off, and he's all like, which one of you killed my son? Well, and then I was like, son
0: of a bitch! No, 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 no. The thing is, is that that actually happens before the series even starts. Oh, Okay. Okay, that's one. Now I'm intrigued. That's, that's that's like one of the storylines. Like I said, you have to watch the show to to find out. But like that scene where he said, "You know, which one of you killed my son?" Before that, because they, well, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but they finally found they found some some bad dudes. That's I'm just, just going to say it like that. They found some bad dudes, and like they're pulling up, like the cops are pulling up. They got the SWAT team, and you see like this like nice GMC truck pull up. The assistant, because um, Tom Sugg is like the chief of police. And the assistant like hops out the car, and he opens up the back seat for the chief. And like Tom Selleck steps out of the, steps out of the GMC vehicle. Gangster. Yeah, you do not understand. You do not understand. Because the mustache is in full effect. He's got the trench coat on. He's got the suit on. And he just steps out like a boss. And he just got that walk. And I, I just paused it for a second. I was just like, that is boss right
3: there. I was like, They should have a walk down the aisle, like a, an alley all thugged out like that right and then every time he passes like a trash can or garbage can like higgins would walk out and then rick would walk out and then tc with his with his um with his helicopter headgear on yeah just walking down the street
0: did you ever watch the episode of las vegas where tc and rick showed up
3: no i did not but i'm going to find it right now
0: (laughs) Because like the last season of Las Vegas, you know Tom Selleck was on the show, replaced James Caan, mm-hmm. and there was an episode where Rick and TC showed up. That was the only episode I watched that season. But anyway, oh, the the, the, the series fin- the, but the the season the season finale. Of, you
3: just interrupted my Mortal Kombat day.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, man.
3: It's not going to be on Hulu looking for that shit.
0: Yeah, they 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 were they they guest starred one episode, but the season finale of Blue Bloods was great. I enjoyed it immensely. I like this show and the way they did it, because they finally realized that they do have a storyline on top of all the other stuff that they do. Right. And it and it and and, it, and there was closure. And the thing is, I'm not saying that it's not coming back. But if it didn't come back, it's okay because. There's no, it's
3: a, been renewed. I think.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What, I, what I'm saying is, is that that first season, it's a season. That's it. I got you. You know what I mean. It's it's like watching uh, this the, the uh, season finale of uh, CSI New York. The way that ended was closure because there's a you know even if CBS doesn't want to bring that show back, it's there, that last episode gives closure to the whole team and that series as a whole. If they don't want to bring it back, I think they will because the ratings have been strong. But there's also talk that they may not bring it back. So right. my wife and I watched because like it was like um yeah we watched the CSI New York like the episode before the season finale then the season finale and blue and the blue Blood season finale back to back to back I was like this is great television even though CSI does some ridiculous ass shit because how the fuck you going to take science cops to a drug raid <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The science, you know, science cops. The science cops should not be in the front of a drug raid or a bust. I'm, I'm sorry. You got, you got like either your SWAT or your street cops. Those should be the first, lo- the first um, line of defense. And then the science cops should be in the back with their gats, okay? No, these cats up in the front. Come on now. Come on. You supposed to be up in the lab with some swabs and doing some analyzing. <laughs> no, you in the front knocking down doors. But you, know, you can't stop Mac Taylor. And like, it took me like, I don't know, seven seasons to stop calling him Lieutenant Dan. So, but, you know, I, I give props to Gary Sinise though, but the season, the season finale of, um,
3: you got magic legs. Stop
0: it. <laughs> the season finale of CSI New York was good too. So yeah, it was good television, but no, Tom Selleck is a boss. Blue Bloods is a great series. And I, I got mad respect for that for that whole crew. So that was a really, it's a really, really good show. So you get some time when you get time to watch those episodes, watch them. I think you will enjoy them immensely. And uh, take a moment out to watch the Magnum PI reunion episode with No Higgins on uh, Las Vegas. That's messed up. Why couldn't they get Higgins? Hey, I don't know, man. Maybe Higgins don't want to work with Selleck.
3: I'm s I am do not know. Seriously I don't know. Everybody wants to work with Tom Selleck. I know. It's just man St- is a staple in the entertainment industry. That
0: that's Jesse Stone you're talking about. Tr- hey, you know them Jesse Stone movies on CBS. They still make them. Still. By by the time this episode airs, another Jesse Stone movie will have been released. You think There'll be three. You think I'm playing. They make them faster than Tyler Perry. <laughs> I'm about to stop this podcast right now. <laughs> Why? Madea's Jesse Stone Reunion. <laughs>
3: I don't know nothing about riding these horses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When I was at Super Show, I got to talk to Robert Atkins for a minute. I was busy all weekend, and I didn't get time to talk with Robert Atkins.
3: I'm glad one of us did.
0: I got to see him before the show ended and we talked for a couple minutes and he gave me a copy of his Atkins the art of Robert Atkins declassified book mhm the front cover has like a like a flag pattern in the back in the background and then a red stripe on the right a red stripe on the left a blue stripe in the middle a star and like and, and uh, snake eyes is like in front of the star in like an action mode and he's got a sword in one hand a knife in another hand He's got the Uzi strapped, you know, strapped around his shoulder and like all of his gear. It's amazing.
3: Is it? Yes. I'm it amazing. sounds tight.
0: It's real tight. Now inside, it's like all of his, um, all of his pencil, like a lot of, not all of it, but like a lot of his pencil work and sketches and concepts and all this stuff. But there's an image. There's an image uh, that he did. It's an image of Torpedo. Lady J, Wild Bill, Dusty, and Beachhead. And it is just hardcore. And it's it's great. And it's Atkins Pencils and Inks. And then there's some wow. pages that are just pencils and um there's some layout stuff. And then there's this image that Atkins did. It's like it's Cover Girl versus Baroness. It's great. And it goes to like a lot of G.I. Joe stuff. And then it has some Marvel stuff in there. And and like uh, let's see. It also has some uh, like um original, you know, creator owned stuff like uh, the Elders of Runestone, all types of stuff. And this is the one thing I, I think I finally realized about Robert Atkins. You know, Robert Atkins is a hell of an artist. He and, sure is. And the thing about it, man, I think depending on who inks him is key. Because I've read like a lot of the Atkins Joe books. When you put the right inker on Robert Atkins stuff, it makes his art fantastic. But like it amazes me how much an inker or a colorist can take away from somebody's art.
3: Sure can
0: yes sir and, I, and and like I've read like a lot of Robert Atkins stuff and depending on, on who's inking him or who's coloring him it takes away from how solid and how how like just fantastic his art is so and I don't want people to think that like I'm trying to be demeaning by saying that his artwork is solid because to be solid means fantastic so you know don't get it twisted but his art is great so when you find the right anchor for him you know when can when, when they won't let him ink his own stuff Oh man, like per- perfect example, um, Robert Atkins with Juan Castro inks, fantastic combination.
3: That's your that's your team for Snake Eyes. There you go, it's
0: exactly perfect. So it's on the colorist, not to jack it up.
3: Period. So yeah, man. Right.
0: Robert Atkins is, is off the hook.
3: So this book. Is it? Do ahead. you listen to No Apologies? Yes, I do. Because you could listen to um, to Juan just inking that shit while he's talking to Daryl and them man. Just, there's just some
0: great images in here, and if you're a Joe fan, there's plenty of Joe art in here. There's some Marvel art in here. Like I said, Elders of the Runestone, creator-owned stuff is in here. Cool, um, nice, very, very nice. So if you st- if you go to a con, get one from this man
3: because and and I saw like some of the commissions he did, and uh, like at cons he does quick st- sketches, but at Super Show, he did these. Uh, they were penciled, inked, full-body sketches. Of any character you wanted, and it was like a hundred bucks, but you are like hundred bucks. That's kind of expensive. No, but for what you what you paid for, you got and 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 he puts time into it. Like he treats that like it's gonna be, it's gonna show up in a comic book. Like that's, you know what I mean. Like he's very proud of his work, and he says those figures take him sometimes like a full day wow. to do everything. And but there was a a Green Arrow that's on the CGS boards for Super Show. That is just unbelievable. And I mean unbelievable. Like that just came right out of the Mike Grell series. Mm. Like just yanked it right out. He got the hood on and everything. And I think um, I want to say one of the dudes from DC noise got it. I can't remember though. Uh, So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong about who who got it. But yeah, man, his art, he is becoming, I didn't get a chance to talk to him either, man. I went over to his table one time and I, and he wasn't there. Yeah, and then I I got bogged down doing shit, whatever. <laughs> That's why I think next year, at super show, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna if you're there with PK or Action Lab, whatever you're there with, man, I'm just gonna come and help you out because I ain't gonna. I don't think I'm gonna uh, bring any books or nothing to sell. That's cool, man. And then and then we get time to actually like talk. Yeah, and then if you want to go walk around, I can hang out at the thing and then you know if not i could walk around you know yeah kind of like how we did it at pittsburgh only you didn't want to leave <laughs> i couldn't help Tape. it man
0: i couldn't help it i, I was paranoid
3: you know me man Grum- the super show it's a bunch of la- it's more laid back and shit too yeah
0: well super show was like just like mad busy for me like i told people i sat. i, I sat down a total of 27 minutes
3: all weekend at that show yeah i just run 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 so even even the stuff man like wild pig had all those 50 cent books and the people that knew I was selling those books for Jamie, they came to me first with their lists hmm. to buy the books so Jamie could get the money. And then if I didn't have it, then they went to Wild Pig. It's great. It's just an awesome community. It really is. A, the community they put together is just fantastic. I haven't met an asshole yet. <laughs> you know and it's like when i was a kid i, I would have loved to have this community that they have because you know the only dude i've talked about on the show before man the only dude i had that was in the comics was frank frank was a dick <laughs> good people man yeah they are good people
0: hey they, they get nothing but respect respect for me man so no Ac- action lab will be back there next year for sure so action lab yes yes with uh with more material more- v is for victory don't don't start that Ellis for victory stuff. I, don't see okay. I'm gonna give y'all some little bit of some inside baseball talk real quick. So during that weekend of the show, Daryl Taylor Who's um, getting way too much hype on this show right now. But yeah, go ahead, he's getting yeah, way too much hype. He actually, you know, he owes me royalties every time I say his, I say his name or DBN. Um, and I originally told him that the D and DBN stands for Donnie, but uh, he didn't like Thank that. You. He didn't like that. He
3: did not like that at all. He was he was not pleased. Anyway. The, the Daryl Broadcasting Network. Bigging you more crap than NBC. Bing, <laughs> bing, bing. bing. <laughs> followed by Outsourced. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer the phone. I hit this button. I hit that button. I don't know. That show is awful. I don't care.
0: All right, go ahead. I'm on. sorry. <laughs> no. Um, you know, Daryl was around Super Show all weekend. And he 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 was just around. He was chilling sometimes. A lot of times he would sit with with Donnie and bother Donnie, and sometimes he'd come over and bug me. Sometimes he'd actually try to help and be nice. But for the most part, Daryl it was Daryl's mission to drive myself and Donnie absolutely batshit crazy all weekend. Like Daryl got so excited during Super Show weekend, he started trying to come up with like you know taglines for Action Lab, and. He said that the L in Action Lab stood for victory. What that means, I don't know. But he started like, making the L shape with his arm like he was Larry Johnson when he played for the Knicks in the 90s. And started walking around saying L is for victory. And he, tried to, and he convinced other people to do it. And he kept coming up to me with it. And I'm like, look, I don't have time for this right now. I don't, You need to go away. You need to go away. So then he bothered Donnie the rest of the
3: time. Yes, he did. And I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I mean, at least you got to get some sleep. <laughs> I was telling Harold Jenet my stories dude and he was like you know I only live 45 minutes away you know next year you could just come and stay with me <laughs> and I was like I might do that
0: man uh, wait a minute what
3: did Daryl do to you dude he came in drunk every night waking me up out of a sound sleep and he was like read me a story read it to me like you do on Tales from the Attic <laughs> Donnie you sleep Donnie you sleep and then he turned on every fucking light in the hotel room. And then he turned on the TV and 30 seconds after the TV was out, he, dude, look, I like Daryl. I like Daryl a lot. And I like, I like not a lot too. And I don't get to see them that much. I only get to see him at cons here and there. But dude, you want to talk about snoring? I brought a fan and hooked it up and had it next to my ears. While I was sleeping on a cot. You know how dangerous that was. It's I could have right. cut that. I could have cut my half my face off. <laughs> and I risked it, just not to hear them. I mean, it was. I swear to God, dude, it was like sleeping in a cave of hibernating bears.
0: <laughs>
3: no, like um, Thursday
0: night. I uh, Thursday night because the rest of uh, you know, like you and Maat hadn't shown up yet. Um, I stayed with Daryl on Thursday night. I'm sorry. And um, and it, it was cool. It was cool. I stayed with Daryl on Thursday night. And so, like, Daryl was watching TV, and I was watching TV, and then Daryl fell asleep. And then, like, I had the T. I I was about to turn the TV off, and I was, like, 10 seconds into, like, like about to go to sleep. I, 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 could, I could sense it. My, eye, my eyelids were starting to drop, and I was about to be out. And I was almost there. And then, out of the blue, <laughs> and I was awake again. Yep. And so, and so, like, I went to go get my iPod, and I said, I'm just gonna put my my, my earbuds in, and I'm just gonna go like, you know, I'm just gonna put it like on like an audio book or something, and I'll just sleep to that, and I can't hear the snoring. He was able to penetrate the earbuds and and disrupt that. So I was literally on again off again on again off again on again off again asleep i think i got a total of like two hours of sleep that night i wasn't mad at him because he, you know he snores you know he could have used like a breathe right strip put it on his nose that that may have helped a little bit but a
3: box of them but
0: <laughs> but you know what man it's okay it's all right i i should have told him to take like you know some allergy pills before before going to sleep and that probably would have cleared up his sinuses and then he just went he would he would straight out without snoring but um but you know he he hooked me up he hooked me up for a night, so I appreciate that. But the brother did snore. And I we mean sure did. I mean like ran like rancor monster growls. Yep. I, I took it there. Return of the Jedi, grabbing Luke, and
3: Luke shoving the bone in in, in the Rancor's mouth. I mean just loud. And he was just he was snoring with the Rancor monster sign and I was laying in that cot crying like the fat dude after he got killed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What do you say we ended on that? Yeah, I I, I think so. I think we should end on that. Daryl, we love you.
3: Uh, Yeah, Sean loves you. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding.
0: And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast. Check out our forum and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.